0: And we are live. Alright, here we go. So, no. So, this week on The Plastic
1: Posse, we bring you controversy.
2: <laughs> it's like they went to the vet and got neutered.
1: Grant woke up and chose violence this morning. <laughs> I feel like Grant is creating a hostile environment.
3: <laughs> I take my work very seriously. Bridget, did, br- br- Bridget, Bridget, yes. Will the Neanderthal yield? Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, bless you, Jensen. Damn. Do You want to take a minute and go wipe off the
0: wall.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad I was not looking. I was like, nope. <laughs> we will get through this. I don't think we Together. will. We are
4: not the men to do this.
3: <laughs> Lessons learned. Don't employ the children. Blame Bon Banani. Bon <laughs> Blame Bon Banani. Bonani. Bon Bonani. Bon Bonani. <laughs> I'm just, I want to uh, hear every hyphen. Spinning thing. Who let this guy on? <laughs> Remember the ha Tim,
5: and it's written and I still can't do it. Wow, that was
1: the mother of all Freudian slips. <inaudible>
0: Welcome to episode eighty-five of the Plastic Posse podcast, brought to you by Tankcraft. Today, I'm joined with four of my illustrious co-hosts and one special guest. So we're going to go around the room and see how everyone's doing. I'll start off in Utah with Doug, the master of serpents. How are you today, sir? I am very good, thank you very much. I am happily working with my serpents. As a matter of fact, I even
5: paired a paired a couple of ball pythons today. Maybe we'll get some babies soon.
0: Outstanding. Anything going on on your bench? Probably more than there should be, like uh, too many projects,
5: but I'm having fun. I started a couple of kits over the holidays. The uh, Ukrainian Leopard, the to me is Ukrainian Leopard tank in 35th scale. So I started that and I kind of got a wild hair and started the uh, TACOM 172nd scale Missouri, USS Missouri, turret number one. There's a lot of photo etch in that kit. So that's kind of slowing me down, but I'm still working on
0: it. It's going to happen. Awesome. Those turret kits are super fun and can't wait to see what you do with it. And you got the turn barrels for it as well, right? I did. I ordered the turn barrels uh, on your recommendation.
5: They're beautiful. They fit perfectly. I've already dry fitted them and they're perfect for that. Very excited about that. I also finished my B-Wing finally after a year. I actually got Facebook reminded me, uh, hey, here's some memories from a year ago. And there's my B Wing starting assembly a year ago. So I finally got that done, painted it in special markings for a friend of mine and uh, have already turned that one over to him. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It's just a, they're just fun kits, of course. It's Bandai.
0: Awesome. Definitely. B Wing's one of my favorite. I need to get one, but I think you and Scott have cornered the market in those kits.
5: I, I don't have one left.
0: Uh, it's Y Wings, right? No, I'm mistaken. I mistaken I've cornered many, the market on Y Wings. How many do you have? Like seven? Five unbuilt. I've built I've you know I've built two so that makes seven, right? Lord have mercy, I'm about to bust.
3: <laughs> All right, moving across the pond. Jensen, how are you today, sir? Um, I'm okay. Totally didn't fall asleep at 10 a.m. and wake up three minutes before we were due to record. Yeah, I'm doing well. Just busy with stuff. But um, yeah, can't complain. If I did, no one listen. That's true. What's on your bench? So far on my bench, there's a box. There's, there's been a box there for a couple of weeks now. I've said my first project for the year is going to be the mini art milk truck with the two delivery milkmen. I want to do a little civilian vignette of like the 1930s, 40s. It's still unopened, still on my box from pre-Christmas. But yeah, just for, for whatever reason, not got around to starting it. But that is that is the first project. It's I was kind of torn between that and the secret center I got from TJ, which was the um, the US Army G7-105 uh, panel van, which just looks amazing. As soon as that kit came out, I fell in love with it. Um, so I was actually kind of torn between that or the milk truck. I'm going to stick with the milk truck for now when I eventually crack it open, but yeah, that's, that's what's going to be hitting my bench as soon as I actually get to the bench. Awesome. That panel van, that's
0: the one that I think Rick is working on right now, correct?
3: Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, but I think Rick did one where it's got chunkier tires and mm. a bit more, it looks a bit more lifted. Um, yeah. but yeah, it looks, looks really cool. Nice.
0: Well, certainly looking forward to both those projects. The milk van. Something about those mini art like civilian approaches. The, you got the milk van. You got a lot of repair shop ones. The cheese monger. That's the mm. one I want with yes. all the uh, the big parmesan wheel in the back. I know Scott eyes that every time. He's a cheese man. Look at him. You know <laughs> it.
1: I feel it's like, like medic- John. John, I feel like before we move on, we gotta we gotta paint a picture for <laughs> for the listening audience. Our, our good friend, his 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 Highness uh, Sir Jensen, is attending our recording in a beautiful dark blue snuggie that is adorned with eggplants or aubergines, as it were. <laughs>
3: it's, and it's listeners, smart.
1: he's not really a sir. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it. I just want to explain this attire. So yeah, it is an eggplant covered snuggie. If you know what that means, you know what that means. My mum bought it for Christmas for me, not knowing what that means. And when I explained it, it was, it was quite the story.
2: <laughs> I'm just enamored by the amount of Snuggies that Jensen has. So I, I've kind of missed the hamburger one myself, but, or cheeseburger, whatever it was. So it just, you know, they, they,
3: they take turns, they come in shifts.
0: <laughs> All right. We're going to go back across and stay in Utah. And Scott, how is your day going? I know you've been editing a lot, but tell us about the progress on your bench because you got two projects rocking and rolling.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. Well, the first one is a Tamiya 148 scale Spitfire Mark One. I'm not sure it's quite as old as Doug's B Wing, but it's close. <laughs> I got it out recently and and started working on it and it it's their newer kid. It's just beautiful. I uh, really taking my time on it. Got the wings and the fuselage all together. And now I'm just working the seams. I've never uh, worked the seams on an aircraft this much. So I hope the work pays off. So that's been great. And then my good friend, Mr. Banani got me a mini art Lands Bulldog tractor and I got it open and just started fiddling with it. And I just can't put it down. It's a great little kit. I love the subject. I It's a really, really nice kit, and uh, it's been a lot of fun working on that as well. So kind of have a civilian uh, you know, tractor as well as uh, the aircraft. So really having a great time at the bench.
0: Awesome. And listeners, just to prove a point, Scott does build models. So there you go. Okay, we're going to stick in the States and just go a little bit west. And Grant, how's your day going? What's on your bench?
2: I'm doing good. On the bench, I finished up my 148 scale 4x2 ambulance by Tamaya, which is a great little kit. Did a desert scheme on that. whole bunch of decals on a little thing. 14 decals on a 148 scale truck. It's kind of crazy, but I don't know how you airplane guys do it. That's all done. I finished up a Vindicari Assassin last night. I have been lucky enough to weasel in a position for next weekend in Vegas with uh, our good friend Rick Lawler and JB to sit and do some painting for with AK at the Las Vegas Gamers Convention. So I'm trying to trying to work on my skills a little bit because there's going to be some fantastic painters there and I can't wait. So that's what I've been pretty much doing is just trying to work on some skills a little bit.
1: You know, Grant, you say airplane guys. So I sent Grant a 148 scale to me, a BF109 G6. I'm going to challenge you. That is every bit as nice as this Spitfire I've been working on. Give it a try, man. And on the BF109, on the rear fuselage, you don't, you don't have to fill that seam. That seam is supposed yeah. to be there on the top and the bottom. So do it, man. Give it a oh, shot. Oh, yeah.
2: I, the fact that you have to give leave the seam in there is like why I want to build that aircraft. <laughs> Sorry. I can't. I have so much trouble with seams. I, I can't get those seams to go away. But thank you so much, Scott. And I really do appreciate it. And that's my goal. That's, that's my kit to have done by June timeframe is the BF-109 that my good friend Scott sent me. I picked up a uh, Eduard uh, uh, kit for it, which is the pan panel uh, and the seat belts and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to it.
5: Hey, can I jump in and ask Scott a question? He's talking about seams. How many ways did you fill the seams on your Spitfire? because you said you worked him hard, but you told me what four different things you did to those seams.
1: Yeah. So first of all, the, the kit is really great. So the seams are minimal, but I want these to be perfect air quotes, right? So I, I hit it with an application of Bondo spot putty first to kind of, you know, fill whatever gaps were there. And those would have been caused primarily by yours truly, uh, you know, just sanding and whatever. And then uh, followed up with some Tamiya surface primer and then sanded those. And then I, um I have you know, been watching Justin Lentz and a bunch of our aircraft buddies and they, they, they've been talking about ghost seams and, um, there's a seam, you know, on the spitfire on the nose in front of the canopy. There's a great big, almost flat area where any bit of a seam is just gonna, it's gonna raise its hand and scream and yell at you. So I, I did two applications of super glue down the whole seam to make sure that those seams don't come back and then sanded and polished those out. So yeah, kind of a four-step process I've been doing. We'll see how it turns out, but I'm pretty excited about it so far. It looks pretty good. Very cool. Nice.
0: All right. And we're going to go over to our special guest tonight. And that is Zach Grizzle. He has appeared once or twice on the podcast. I know he doesn't get the limelight as much as Jackson, who appears half as much and says, who "Who is I made that man. I made that man. and I will say this every time.
4: He's only here because of me. (laughs) And Zach's got a special guest with him. But Zach, how are you today? What are you working on? I'm currently working on getting my cat to leave me alone for two seconds. Aside from that, I've got a very funky t-34 that i'm working on for the the wilder ak group build so my idea was it's like a uh like an infantry support vehicle so it's got sort of a, a bdrm style turret on it that's that's sort of the inspiration i took it from so i i drew that up in cad over the course of like three weeks because i am not very good at cad uh I printed it out and then about 27 people so far have sent me stuff for this project. So Stephen Reed has sent me a bunch of stuff. Ian Bonner sent me the the add-on armor from the T-34E, the border kit, which makes it look pretty cool. It really beefs it out, which I like. Um, and then the illustrious JB is now sending me a, uh, a Kirin mine roller for it because it doesn't have enough stuff on it already. <laughs> um, let's see. And I've also got... I started to do the world's strangest slammer build the other day, uh, which is a 135th resin French 120 millimeter mortar. Because, you know, that's a slammer
0: build right there, right? Awesome. I can't wait to see the T-34 done. You know, there's, I think it's a cornucopia of aftermarket and parts. Very much so. But what do you think about the
4: paint scheme? You going just straight green or are you going to be a little bit explorative? I'm still trying to figure that out. I want to do like a, a tropical kind of scheme because my idea is this is set in like 1946 in Japan as if like the the bombs were never dropped so they actually had to go through with Operation Downfall and the Soviets were a part of it but I can't decide if I want to do just like green and like a tan or if I want to add other colors in there trying to be kind of funky I haven't decided yet I'll see when I get there I'll start. Sp- bring paint on it and see what sticks. <laughs> yeah, you'll strip it seven times exactly. We'll, so we'll we'll man, it won't matter anyway. We'll
3: see. We'll
0: see
1: every option. Yeah, so. precisely. <laughs> he'll he'll get it to where we all really really like it, uh-huh. and then he'll be I like, say, "Nah, I stripped it and started yeah. it over." Like yeah. the face, like the face
4: on that last figure he's been working on. Oh, oh yeah, and the figure I'm working on. Yeah, that's been painted uh, twelve times. Just the face. I painted the body one time. It's stuck. I like it. It's the face that's giving me trouble.
0: All right. Well, your new nickname is Zach. Why do it once when you can do it a dozen times? Exactly. <laughs> All right. I'll polish this section off with what's on my bench. Sergeant York, obviously, I've posted a lot on Facebook about it. Uh, trying to get that done before the end of the year, uh, end of the month, I should say. It's a sweet, sweet kit. It's it's hard. It lacks pedigree, I think. Tack on B team potentially, but the, the effort is worth the end result uh, because I actually really like where it's going. And special thanks to Jackson, who got that for a Secret Santa for me last year. I was hoping to get it done before the end of the year, but Uh, Just with holidays and, you know, being under the weather, looking to accomplish it by the end of the month. And then also, I got to give a major shout out to uh, BJ De Becker from Panzer Concepts. He was kind enough to give me the first production sample of the Vomog. Hopefully, I said that right, Peter Fidlosky and Hendrick, and with the 88 millimeter gun on it. So it is a sweet kit. I have assembled most of the chassis and have a lot of the body done. I need to get back on it. I wanted to get the Sergeant York to a spot where I could, you know, essentially let the oils and, enamels cure for a few days and jump back on the Vomog. So I'll be doing that this weekend. It's a beautiful kit. It's supposed to be out sometime this month. I know Andy's had a uh, special on it selling pre-order and I I think they'll be coming out soon. It's it's gorgeous. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of kit, to be honest. I think one of the things I'm most impressed with is the wheels. So they are injection molded and they're like sandwich. So there is no Center seam you have to really worry about. Uh rubber tires aren't an issue. Uh it's just overall really, really nice. Um, and straightforward too. There's one photo etch fret for the screens on the uh on the fighting compartment, but otherwise, it's it's a pretty badass looking vehicle, and I can't wait to paint it. I'll do three-tone uh you know, standard JB, a three-tone uh instead of the Dunkel Gell or the Dunkel growl, I should say. But this this will be a vehicle from Budapest where essentially those vehicles were all destroyed. This this unit, talking to BJ, is actually really interesting. They were originally designed and converted to support Adolf Hitler. So when he was going to be in a city or in a specific location, they would deploy and essentially serve as auxiliary anti-aircraft there. So they had the 88s, and I think they had horches with 20 mils um, as well that were part of that kind of anti-aircraft garrison that would go and follow him around. Obviously, late in the war, when Hitler wasn't flying, they were turned to you know essentially direct Direct action elements and I, they got slaughtered in Budapest because they're soft skin vehicles, but you know, long story short, sorry for the brief history, but I I just want to really highlight this kit. BJ was kind enough to give it to me, but uh, everything I say about it, it's, it it is a very nice kit, very straightforward. You know, any builder can have confidence in building it. And it's just a neat subject. You don't see it often at all. And I think there was one or two resin kits in the past, but you know, special thanks to BJ and also a big shout out. This is his first kit going to the mainstream market in terms of ejection molded. So I think that's quite an accomplishment. Not a lot of people get to do that. And he, Designed it from you know head to toe essentially in CAD and worked with the folks at DOSWORK and the molders in China. So major shout out to him. Uh, Really appreciate his efforts. And he's a super nice guy. And I'm looking forward to everything he makes. He's, you know, if you're interested in BJ's work, you not only can pick up the Vomog, but check out his website, Panzer Concepts. We'll link it in the show notes. He's got a lot of unique resin stuff there too. I know a lot of us on here have built it. So major shout out to BJ. I will end with really quickly, Las Vegas Open going with Grant next weekend. So this will drop this upcoming Tuesday, which the following weekend will be the Las Vegas Open. Rick Lawler has been kind enough to uh, invite the Triple P and and Grant and I will be stopping over and doing demos at the AK booth. If you happen to be at the place, stop by and say hi. I certainly look forward to it. You know, Wargaming and gaming in general is something very new to me, but uh, I'm constantly impressed with the miniature painters and really look forward to seeing everything in person.
1: Yeah, JB, if I could go back, first of all, Sergeant York, I know you had to wrestle and fight with that thing, but man, it's been worth it. It's really, really looking good. And uh, it's been exciting to see you collaborate with Grant on the Reforger markings. And I... I really think it's going to be something special. It looks terrific so far. Also, want to echo what you're saying about JB uh, about BJ. Excuse me. Uh, excited to see him go mainstream. If anybody's seen uh, Andy's preview video, that kit it's fantastic. He did a great job with it. So, congratulations uh, from me as well to BJ. Just fantastic work. Yeah, definitely. The Plastic Posse podcast is sponsored by Tankcraft. In addition to their awesome cutting mats, Tankcraft also makes some incredible scale modeling tools for your workbench. Want to keep that extra thin cement off of your bench and in the bottle where it belongs? Check out the Tankcraft Glue Base, designed to stop glue spills in their tracks. The glue base is made from solid milled aluminum. It comes with a stable rubber base pad and it can accommodate most square and round cement buffs. And while you're there, check out their line of cutting mats and other unique modeling tools as well. Remember, possibly Posse listeners get 15% off their first order by using the code Posse15, that's P-O-S-S-E 1-5. So head on over to Tankcraft right now, that's T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com.
0: So we are going to move past this section, which the intro took a little bit longer than last time, but it's expected. We had a long break and we're back at it. So we're going to jump into our first discussion topic a potentially controversial one, uh, but no, the it's, topic is me-
1: Jensen Snuggie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, the first topic we're gonna we're gonna discuss today is dry brushing, like it, love it, or hate it. So, I'll, I'll set the stage. Dry brushing is, I'll say, a traditional modeling technique. I think you can trace its lineage back to you know probably the start, you know, sixties, seventies, and certainly popularized in the eighties by people like Francois Verlinden and then also Tony Greenland. I think what we've seen is a resurgence of that technique because in the 80s and the 90s, it was very popular and it has stuck around with some modelers today. But I think, dare I say mainstream, and especially when you look at paint manufacturers and techniques in modeling magazines and through those paint manufacturers, that technique has regressed probably starting from the early 2000s and you can see a reemergence of it right now and i know some artists and some creators have been steadfast supporters of the of the technique but i i know some of us have gone away from it coming back to it some of us have stuck with it but i'd love this section to talk about dry brushing how we each feel about it do we use it in our modeling and and you know just try to understand the technique love to hear from the listeners because i think it's one that is um i think in certain areas it causes a kind of cringe cuz you think back to and nothing against the style at that time but in the 80s and 90s you have you know in some cases frosted vehicles uh where they're the edges are dry brushed with titanium white and you're like whoa and i think at the time much like techniques we see today with modulation and i'm sure 20 years from now you know we'll we'll regress and talk about modulation as some crazy fad but I think dry brushing has had its highlight, had no pun intended, had its day, but now you see it as a technique that's being kind of adapted to, dare I say, modern finishing styles. So with that, I'll pause. Maybe I'll kick it over to Scott to start us off. Tell us, you know, how do you feel about dry brushing? Do you like it? And then I know Scott, you had mentioned to me an artist that uses dry brushing as a primary technique. Maybe talk about him, that approach, and and why you know why why is dry brushing got a bad name?
1: Yeah, thanks, JB. Well, I mean, first of all, I want to echo what you said. I um, agree that like a lot of techniques, like modulation, is one that comes to mind. Where if it's done really really well, I think it makes a model look really good. But you see a lot of modulation that maybe isn't done as as well and then it really really stands out and then people say well i don't like modulation and same thing with dry brushing i think you hit the nail on the head i think you know when you dry dry brush you want to avoid the extremes right the whites and the blacks and the the straight uncut silvers and and i think that's why a lot of people don't like it i certainly still use it i mean um when i'm painting an instrument panel on an aircraft it's a a great technique. I think a couple things, you know, you mentioned an artist, you and I have been talking a lot about Artist Opus. I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there are familiar with his videos, but he actually builds opacity gradually through dry brushing. And I think one of the things that he really focuses on is you know, not wiping your brushes onto paper towels, because that pulls all the moisture off of your brush, but actually using a a textured palette um, to get the, you know, the amount of paint to where you want it. But it's also still wet that the way that he's using the technique. And, and I think that's really, really effective. And the other thing is a lot of people are using uh, dry brushing of oils, oil paints and and uh, I think that's also really, really effective. So I think the technique is maturing. Is is that is that a, a good way to say it? But I I really like it. I like it when it's done well. And I think there's a lot of times when it's a really effective tool.
0: No, I agree with you there. It's it's certainly it's certainly something that is has, has been adapted and like you said can be used in very specific areas to achieve great results. So you know, with that, Scott, I'll I'll pause with you, and I'm going to move over to. Our friendly, our friendly friend across the pond and get his input. Because I know he's got some Artisopus brushes
3: that are so wheat. Yeah, they're really good. Not been used. Um, too posh to use. They look nice in the box. I don't want to ruin them. Um, yeah, dry brushing. It's, it's, as soon as I saw the discussion, I was like, this will be a good one. It's really good. I use it. I use it a lot on, I'd like to say I use it a lot in the right places. I don't use it as a crutch and I don't use it everywhere. I think it's, maybe this is the wrong word, but it's a technique that's abused a lot uh because it's it's massively either overused or used not correctly. Like you said, it's it's the use of titanium white on an entire model that's that's made it look a bit like, okay, maybe it's time for dry brushing to go into the cupboard. It, it, it's, I kind of just want to take a few points that both you and Scar said, yeah, like dry brushing, you're not supposed to really use like dry brush. Um like he says in the videos, when you remove all the moisture it's when you get dry, chalky looking paint, and that's when it starts to look really bad the paint's not supposed to be dry. It's just supposed to be minimal because you can still blend with dry brushing. You can get really nice effects. You can build up opacities. You can do blends. Dry brushing isn't really just about like edge highlighting. You can do a lot with it. But I use it all the time. If, say, when I am doing aircraft, the cockpits, if I can use a dry brush and make everything pop, like instrument panels, dials, switches, just by dry brushing a slightly lighter gray on top of a black, that makes a massive difference. Um, Scott mentioned dry brushing with oils. I do it with figures. If I'm painting figures, I'll base it all in acrylic. And for all my highlights that I'm trying to get smooth blends on, I'll dry brush oil, oil paint, and then blend it. And the dry brushing kind of already blends it. So that's a technique that works really well. You're actually getting a really nice effect with very little work. And I think it's, yeah, it's one of those that it's like, it definitely has its place. It definitely has a bad name. And I think that's just because of maybe echoes from the past, like you say, really harsh colors that are chalky being used everywhere. It's one of those, don't use every technique everywhere, not everything all at once all the time. Um, use it in moderation and it stands out and pops a lot more. If you do it everywhere, it gets lost in the the messiness.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that, especially with the paints. You know, I, I think you can do dry brushing really well with colors that are slightly different than, I guess, the base color, lighter in a sense, but not lighter and desaturated with adding white. I think white, like you mentioned, is is that moment where it just gets a little bit uncontrollable and and loses loses a a moderated effect as opposed to like bam, there's the edge uh, and punch you in the face. So I totally echo everything that you're saying. And I appreciate your feedback. I'm I'm gonna go to our special guest, Zach. I know he doesn't paint a lot, folks, but we're gonna get his
4: feedback on this one. I was actually just using dry brushing the other day. Thank you very much. So, Did you just strip it? No, I haven't yet. Give me a couple of days. <laughs> but with that, with the little mortar that I mentioned I'm working on, I actually managed to paint something. Um, so I got it painted and I was looking at just some, there's a surprising like lack of photos of it online outside of when the Marines used it, which is a whole thing that I didn't know about. Anyway, in most of the the reference photos, if it's sort of a, a well-used one. It doesn't really chip, it seems. It, it looks like it just kind of gets a sort of a wear and tear gradually across all these things. So dry brushing was just the best thing to use for that. So I started with, I painted my base coat and then I immediately took some uh, Citadel Lead Belcher, which is an amazing color, by the way, for anything sort of an oily steel kind of color. If you want that, Lead Belcher is your go-to. And then I just, I just dry brushed that over uh, most of the working parts, anything that would be touched, uh, you know, the handles, stuff like that. Um, and then after that, I took a dry brush of oils with industrial earth from uh, Abdelung 502, which is an incredible color. And I just did a very light dry brush over my silver to sort of pull it back a little bit and to uh, blend it with the base coat, basically. Probably would have made more sense to do it the other way, but I wanted to also kill some of the silverness that comes from a straight metallic paint. So, and then I would just, I just went back over that with a very selective, another pass of the of the silver basically with straight paint just so that I could pull. If I wanted something to be a little more bright, I would use that. But basically all of the weathering aside from earth effects on this mortar uh, is all dry brushing. And yeah, like every technique is basically viable provided you, you do it in a way that makes sense because, yeah, if I'd gone over it and just hit it with a, a dry brush of straight silver and did nothing, it would not look right. But if you if you use more subtle colors and then even if like I like I did where I, I did my dry brush and then I did another one on top of it to pull it back, which is something I'm going to be trying to do a lot more often because I think the result of that was really cool and it's not something I've done before it's a, it's a very powerful technique, which is one of the problems with it is it is very powerful. So you have to be careful with it.
1: That's an interesting perspective, Zach. I hadn't really uh, considered that, but you know uh, the adding, adding effects um, in, in the, I guess the additive way where you're, you're coming back. Like I've gotten to where every time I airbrush a section on a model, I'll go back and I'll hit it with some straight Mr. Leveling Thinner um, because it really, really unifies. And, and uh, you know, controls the, the, the paint makes it really, really smooth. And, and that's an interesting uh, technique.
4: I hadn't really thought of that before. I hadn't either. And then I'm just like, what if I did this? And it worked. So
0: yeah, that's, that's a good call. And I'd be curious to understand Zach, what kind of brush you're using? Because I think the type of brush matters as well.
4: Yeah. So I used just a really cheap uh, filbert brush. So it's one of those ones where it is it's like a flat brush, but it has a rounded end to it. And yeah, just like one of those. So like a,
2: make a brush or something like that?
4: Yeah, very similar kind of thing. Okay. So, but mine is just a cheap, got it in a pack of like 27 brushes at Hobby Lobby type deal. If I had a better one, it would probably work a little nicer. I need to get I'm very tempted to get some of those Artist Opus dry brushes because I have actually used my my S series Artist Opus brushes unlike somebody else here, and they are incredible. So I highly recommend. They're not cheap, but they are very worth the money, but yeah, just a, a, a filbert brush so that it, you don't, you know, you don't get harsh edges from like the corners of the brush and then yeah, just boom.
0: Yeah. I think that's important too. You know, we mentioned the artist opus brushes. I have one, this one's made by ammo, but it's like their dry brush technical. It looks very similar to artist opus. It's got the rounded edge. The, the bristles are slightly feathered out and they're actually kind of a different, I, I don't know if there's, synth- there's some sort of synthetic or they, I, I don't know. They might even be hair to be honest, but anyway I I think the brush matters too you know dare I say growing up and and even earlier in modeling my dry brushing was always done typically with like a flat brush and it had that sharp top on it and sometimes it gets feathered but it, it, the bristles are still tight and like you mentioned Zach I think that influences a lot on how the paint is distributed on the model and I've found that these dry brushes, you know, God forbid a product that is designed to do a specific technique really works. <laughs> this is a good example where that type of bristle, that type of brush, and a lot of people might think, Oh, that's cliche. You don't need that. You can use any brush. Sure. You can use any brush, but I, I find that, dare I say, brushes designed for dry brushing, just like a series seven design for technical painting, they work for what they're designed for. And I, I think, I think listeners, if you, you know, give it a go. You'll you'll find different results. It it might not seem you know. Oh, it's brushes a brushes a brush, especially for dry brushing. Not so much. It it actually works really well with the type of brush you have.
1: Well, and dry brushing with a detail brush will absolutely nuclear holocaust it. it. It won't be it won't be good as a regular brush anyway because you know it's a. It's a mechanical technique, right?
6: Mm-hmm. What
1: you're what you're doing to the model. So yeah, you don't want to use your, your Windsor and Newton series brushes, you know, that you use for your detail painting, obviously. So
0: Yeah, and I think the quality of brush makes sense too, where I look at this ammo one and these dry brushes, again, brushes designed for dry brushing. They hold their shape uh, as opposed to if you're using some cheap synthetics, they'll they'll get blown out. And sometimes that's fine for dry brushing, but I, I just find the consistency with these brushes and how you use it. Like, I not only use it in the traditional sense of like dragging it over, but you can actually like stipple it too, if that makes sense, on corners and try to replicate chip paint. So I think there's a lot of benefit to these types of brushes. And with that I'll 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 kick it over to Doug. I think Doug you might have an interesting perspective because when I when I look at, you know, rebel fighters or or even imperial fighters, there's so many edges and especially with those grays. I I think they call and sing to dry brushing for highlighting.
5: Uh, absolutely. I um, I wouldn't pretend to be really good at dry brushing, but I like using the technique. Um the rebel stuff has lots of little nooks and crannies that especially uh, with Bandai's a lot of times you have to uh, assemble before you paint and it's tricky because there's their tolerances are so tight that when you, when you paint first, sometimes you can't get the parts quite to fit right because just that thin layer of paint uh, gets in the way. So you assemble them. And then how do you reach some of these spots, especially in between the S oils on the X wing, uh, dry brushing, reaching in there with a dry brush and, and hitting those actually works really well because you got to be cautious with your, uh, your solvents with Bandai plastic. So um, yeah, I, I really enjoy using it on stuff like that um all the me- raised mechanical uh surfaces it, it really works well on um other things that I've used it on I practiced uh I'm actually I've pulled it down off the shelf as you guys started talking about it I've got a little uh, the red dragon that I 3D printed um off of photos mint and it's only about two inches tall and I dry brushed that whole thing was painted I, I I airbrushed it black and then I and then I dry brushed it with different tones of red over it and it's fun I and mean, it's not it's not a contest winner but it's certainly uh a nice little uh little thing I like to look at. So scales and things like that on on uh on a dragon on the edges dry brushing works very very well. What's really funny is as you guys are talking about brushes and until a year ago I'd never used a dry brush brush and I was over at MRS hobbies with uh with Scott and he's like do you have one of these and I said no he said you should try it and Yeah. I I need to get a lot more of them. I love, I love working with these technique specific tools. So yeah, that's where I'm at. That's how I feel. It's,
0: it's fun. I enjoy dry brushing. You heard it here, everyone. Doug, he enjoys dry brushing. I enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, I'm going to go over to Grant. Grant, I know you do. I, I, I think you use the technique a lot, not only with some of your models, but groundwork as well. Maybe expound on that.
2: Yeah, I I was lucky enough to be around when all like Chet Payne came out with his books and he talked about dry brushing and of course, Berlin, like we talked about. Um, I, I got away from it from a long time. And I think that was mostly due to the quality of the equipment that we had at the time. And we've talked about that a little bit. It is a skill that one of those original skills you should have as a modeler but for a long time it got it it got a bad rep because it was there was frosting there was ghosting there was really bad it was you know there was times where you were just like i'm gonna beat a dead horse here but they take titanium white and just nail them you know and it, at the time that was that was great you know it was you know we're showing detail and doing all this stuff but you know as as the years go by it kind of works its way out and i think the biggest thing about uh, dry brushing uh, has been in the last couple of years is like you've all said i think it's the the equipment that has changed the brushes the design specific brushes are Zopis, opus AK, all the different other ones out there there there's so many different kinds of brushes you can use and getting away from the flat tip sharp edge brushes is is key artist opus talks about if you ever watches videos which you should do talks about how and everybody's brought this up but keep your paintbrush damp not soak it wet but damp you won't get the ghosting get is you know you think you got everything off of it go back in and again the the way people are mixing dry brushing with other techniques uh, especially speckling for figures um i see a lot of that now i do a lot of that with um bases i'll do a lot of dry brushing with bases and then come in and use point specific speckling to rocks to you know individual items on a base to bring out that just a little bit more with a little bit lighter detail and that's where i really i, I really see myself in the last couple of years using dry brushing the most is in, in bases i mean because you can bring out a, a tone of a ground so much better with dry brushing um, as long as you keep it that, that ghosting away from it and you use the right in my opinion it doesn't mean you have to go out and buy these kind of brushes, but in my opinion, that you use the right kind of brush. There's oil brush painters out there that use all kinds of, that have the brushes we're talking about. You can get a thousand of them. Well, not a thousand, but you can get a lot of them on Amazon for a very cheap price. You know, this, that's what it is. I think it ran its course for a long time and then it went away. And then I think, you know, it came back, but it was when it came back, it was the reason it came back was because of the introduction of better quality of equipment. The equipment basically, in my opinion, saved it. And I think there's a lot of of it has to go to our artist opus sorry they he did a lot of work with that he did a lot of designing of the original so it, it goes to him too that what he did it's a great technique i like to mix sorry to make a short answer long but i like to make a uh, dry brushing on figure capes and stuff like that i'll hit it with a really light dry brush and then i'll come in and edge highlight where i want a more striking or show folds more so it's i think it's became more of a final technique to use on your model, and now it's just a part of the repertoire of whatever we all do in the process of painting them up. So instead of elastic, it's now probably in the middle, and we can use it to develop.
1: That's a good point, Grant. And then I want to go back to what John said. You know, uh, sometimes we're not just after a detail highlight on an edge. I think dry brushing really, really works for techniques like abrasion. Like you know, we 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 all chip our models, right? If you're an armor builder, especially, but chipping's not the only environmental effect or wear. You know, when a when a vehicle is being mounted in a certain place, yeah. you can use dry brushing to show you know the the uh, abrasion. From the crew's boots and mm-hmm. you know the the clothing that's being used as as well to you know show where that vehicle is being kind of worn in a different way than a chip.
2: Definitely, I mean, you know, I like you're saying abrasion or a war, wearing a paint or you know just fading a paint on the highlighted areas on on the top of a vehicle on the and the. Where the sun is going to hit the vehicle the most, you can use dry brushing to show fading of paint very easily. And it does. And like I said, if you mix it with different, you know, methods or techniques like stippling and all these other things, you get, you know, fantastic models like JB and Zach produce. I mean, you know, you get these, you know, works of art. And it's the thing is, is that, like I said, I think it, it was. For the longest time, it was the last thing you did on your model before you put the model. You were done with the model it was dry brush. I got to dry brush it and I'm done. At least that' what I can remember. And now I think... Like it's in the middle. It's like, okay, it's part of the technique and in the process of where you get to that final model. It, it's, I, I think it's, it's more than it has aged like a fine wine. I think, I, I guess you could say it's it found its spot. It's never going to go away. I don't care what anybody says. It's going to be there forever. And it's just a good technique. I think now with the technology and the improvements in paint and the brushes and all of that, I think it's found its spot and it's just going to be what it's going to be.
0: Yeah. I'll just echo along the lines of, you know, paint abrasion and wear and tear. I think when you traditional dry brushing, maybe, you know, feel free to chime in if you disagree. Traditional dry brushing was all around edge highlighting and, you know, making these things pop. I think the way I use it is actually the reverse and it has become a very powerful tool to show abrasion and worn paint, especially on the edges of a vehicle. Sergeant York is a perfect example. After I've done chipping with a lighter green to show, you know, some painted abrasion, that raw steel or that dirt kind of grimy edge, it's, it's not really highlight, but I'm using like a chipped color paint, a dark brownish black, and I'm dry brushing the edges. I'm dry brushing areas around the hatch. I'm doing a little stippling with that dry brush to recreate some chip paint effects. And I think that's incredibly powerful where you're dry brushing with a dark color as opposed to a light color. And this can be paired as well with a lighter wash. So almost flip the script. So, you know, traditionally you're like, oh, wash, I need to use dark colors to accentuate details. And I need to use dry brushing to make those details pop on certain vehicles. I think OD and darker vehicles is a great example. Flip the script, do a lighter wash with maybe a medium gray or desaturated dust, and then dry brush a darker brown on top of it. The results you get are quite amazing. I think, you know, got to credit Spencer Pollard. He does this with some of his models. Other people do it. It is a very powerful tool and you wouldn't think it works, but holy cow, it creates an effect that, you know, it's incredibly realistic, I think. And it's very straightforward. You can, you know, if you, if you're looking for simple chipping and you don't want to spend 40 hours all at night shift on a model, you can use this reverse dry brushing in effect to, to accomplish those techniques.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I think Spud's another one that does a really yes. good job, you know, bouncing those two those techniques off of each other and his yes. with his darker. And I, I agree, it's it looks so much better on a darker, like a, you a like you said, an OD, a darker, modern kind of colors. Um, Sherman's, of course, but yeah, it, when you bounce, like you said, you 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 flip the switch on it, and it just it it pops it, you know, and it really has it's finding its place.
0: Yeah. And, and really ex- accentuating a good call is the Shermans is that cast texture on the turret. You know, you look at Mike Rinaldi using reverse dry brushing. Actually, we haven't even talked about this, but using yeah. dry brushing to remove the paint where you're yeah. using a solvent to remove the top layer of paint. And I, I think for a Sherman in that case, you can do two things. You can use solvent to dry brush away the top of your paint color and burnish it down to a darker color, or you can just dry brush a darker color on top of it. So I think there's two methods there with dry brushing. One is literally cutting it, but you're achieving the same type of effect. And I, I think it's a technique, as you mentioned, as we have all mentioned, has lost its way, but it's, I think it's came back in certain forms. And I'd be curious to get anyone's feedback on this in terms of dry brushing. I, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and I'll say the gaming community has kept this technique alive and has evolved it to a degree where us scale modelers are starting to use it again, just based on their, you know, they are steadfast supporters of this. They've done it a lot with terrain, a lot of different techniques. I, I think that community has a lot to thank. And I, I believe Artist Opus comes from that community as well. So a lot of crossover, but major kudos to that side of the hobby.
2: Uh, I agree. I think that the, the way to get figures on a Table quickly was dry brushing when in the artist or in the wargaming community, so they 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 stayed with it. They gen, they generated products that were better for the process. Uh, and you're, you're right. I think they had a lot to do it. There's a, a thing called slapshot. Uh, it's where it's just basically really quickly putting you know neutral colors on a figure or whatever you're doing, and then just coming in and hitting it again with a dry brush. And we've talked. There's a lot of famous people that do that, and they do very good work. It's fantastic work, some of us, But yeah, you're right. I think the gaming community has a lot a lot of, Credit to bring it where they kept that dry brushing alive.
0: Yeah, well, certainly this was a great discussion. I I think it went a lot better than I expected. I uh, I've certainly learned a little bit, and I think what we can also take away is everybody uses it in some way, shape, or form. And with that, I'd love to hear the community as well. If you're using dry brushing, if you support it, again, it goes back. If you love it, you know, like it, love it, hate it. Tell us your thoughts, and even show a picture of the results. I think that's powerful too, uh, because pictures tell more than just words. So with that, we're going to go over to our next segment. I'm going to kick it over to Scott and tell us what we got scott
1: yeah thanks jb it's time for us to uh talk about some models that we all kind of liked in our plastic posse group if you're not a member of our group please join on facebook we've got you know 5,000 members and counting it's great you're gonna see some amazing work over there and i think that'll be highlighted by what we all discuss so uh grant let's start with you uh what models this week uh, over on the posse group kind of caught your eye
2: uh, well, I I don't know if it was this week, but it was it was during the holidays. Alex Clark, uh, good friend of the posse, and I, I you know I did bring him up before, but he did a one over one forty four scale ME one hundred and nine. When I first saw it, I could have swore it was one forty eight, you know, and I know Alex does a lot of one seventy second, so I figured it was one seventy second, and I'm looking at it and it goes down to one over one forty four. It's amazing uh, the, the the detail. I I don't know how he works in scales like that. I have no idea. I mean, we talked to him, Scott, and. Yeah, we, we and JB, we we all when we did the interview, and he said he he'd lose parts in his fingernails <laughs> on the top of his fingernail. How I mean. It's just well in the con-
1: the context grant to your point that post is actually about focus stacking yep. you know yep. focus stacking a 1144 scale bf109 you know it's it's amazing but you know he shows the results and it's yeah. just it's just really effective
2: yeah it is I mean in the in, and Alex is a, is a world renowned famous modeler especially in the smaller scales. Got all his books, like the rest of us, most of us, the rest of us. And, you know, he, just seeing his stuff and what he can do with that kind of scale is is just phenomenal. You know, and focus stacking, like you said, and the M109 is a perfect little kit. And you look at it and I could have swore it was 148. I swear to God, I was like,
0: I didn't know he jumped up to scale.
1: Yeah, he'll do that to you. He's, yeah. he's pretty amazing. Well, let's go over to JB. JB, anything catch your eye?
0: Yeah, a lot of stuff online, but I definitely want to give a shout out to a person who regularly contributes online to a print uh, and that is John Hale his M4A3 Thunderbolt 6 uh, Creighton Abrams vehicle that he took into Bastogne is actually on the cover of the latest issue the January 2024 issue of Military Model Craft International it's a fantastic piece that we've seen posted in the posse before and to see it on the cover of a mag uh, certainly you know is well well deserved and John's a fantastic modeler he's another Sherman holic. you know when we think of Sherman consiglieries, we go with Jackson John Hale a few other folks online but uh, definitely want to recognize John and all of his stellar work. I'm going to highlight this magazine too. You know, TJ Sherman's in it from the SMC show report. We got Ilya Yut in here and a few other familiar names. And at the end of it is John Murphy Spud's interview where he talks about, you know, his life, scale modeling, a little, a lot of, a lot of history about him personally. So definitely pick up this issue. You can grab it on pocket mags, but I know this is a social media shout out, but I got to highlight one of our social media contributors in print. Always really cool and special shout out also to David Grummet for running such a fine mag. So kudos to you, John, keep it up. Up, love the article. I got to read it again, just because it's so, uh, it's
1: it's just really, really good. Nice. I also wanted to highlight um, our missing uh, compadre. You talk about Sherman Aholics, you know, TJ definitely fits into that, but his new uh, machine and Krieger, uh, Grant and John, you'll know which exact model it is. You speak it more than I do, but you know, that scheme, uh, you know, when he got the markings on, man, that thing just kind of came alive.
0: Oh, the one that's painted like how Brian Krieger paints his
1: stuff? <laughs> that one. That would it's, be the one. <laughs> yeah, that's a, pretty sweet.
2: Yeah, it's a, the two-legged. I think it's a basic off a of crow chassis or something for like that. For the short yeah, shoulders. it's a
0: yeah. the the pack crow. Yeah, Pack crow. Uh, yeah, his, that's yeah. It's it's a rare kit, uh, and he's done yeah. a stellar job. You know, it's stellar because he copied Brian's scheme. But you know, hey, good for TJ. Good work.
2: Way to
1: reach out there. Let's <laughs> move over to Doug. Doug, uh, what caught your eye?
0: Well, um, I'm
5: going to talk about uh, Martin uh, Holst. He did a Bandai ATST, and he fell victim to something that many of us that have built Bandai kits have. And he got some solvent in the in the leg, one of the leg joints where it attaches to the uh, body of the uh, the machine, and it failed. So he lost he lost his uh, that joint. And I don't know if anybody's ever worked with with uh, Bandai plastics or had that problem with it. It doesn't just break. It it gets so soft that it kind of it's mushy and then it, and then it comes apart and getting it back together is an absolute nightmare and um, he was able to salvage this thing he's got it back together it looks like it's supporting its weight Um, he's not done with the project it looks like it's going to be part of a vignette but uh, he's done a really cool paint scheme on it a couple of rusty red panels that are very very worn on it really nice otherwise uh, overall but i'm just super impressed with the fact that he was able to salvage this thing that he was able to take a what what is kind of a nightmare when you're building a model and and turning it into something Thing, fine. fine. Um, I know it's not what he was hoping for, but hey, thumbs up. I've done it too. I did it to the same part of the same kit before. And all I did was salvage, just salvage another part from another kit so that I could finish it. I didn't do what he did and actually make that part work. So I'm really impressed. I, I mean, first of all, I love what he's done with it. And I really love that he was able to, to rescue it. So good for him. Way to go, Martin.
1: Doug, you build a lot of those kits. I think some of those, I don't know how many grades of plastic that bandai uses but it seems like some of their kits are a lot more susceptible to this than others i i mean i don't know if you've seen that or
5: um i i don't know if it's the kits themselves i think all the plastic has this this flaw but what what it is if you use something with solvent on if you want to use a wash or something you can put a wash over over just about anything you have to put it on very thin and get it off pretty quick like get the carrier medium the solvent off as quick as you can. If it sits and pulls in a joint, that's what gets you. If it gets in between two pieces and, and just can sit there for, for more than, than a few seconds, it's going to eat that plastic. It's going to soften it up and really really do some damage.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's happened to me uh, during the slave one. And I, like you said, I had to go get another kit to kind of bring that back lesson learned. You know, like you said, as long as you keep it out of the joints and try to keep the thinner to a minimum, I think it seems like it's going to work out for you and agree with you shout out to martin for staying with it and i really like the paint work he's doing on that chicken walker
5: yeah that's cool and uh if you have a good a nice uh coat of paint over it it'll protect it too that's one of the, you know you paint it and then you're gonna you're gonna dirty it up and you're gonna use those solvents and and that's one of the things that protects plastic as well but you're not gonna get that that protection in the in the joints so
2: yeah i think another thing too is you have to really watch what solvents you use the the strength of those solvents I use uh, Michelangelo or whatever they call the the artist one. And it, yeah. it, it's, it's a lot less damage than like your normal thinner because it's not as strong. Yeah. Just That's just something to remember. Look for a thinner or look for a less strong thinner and that will help. Cause I've had like R2s just, basically melt on me you know okay. it's just you know it just you, you break one joint then you try and fix that joint the next joint breaks and so, you know it's just kind of one of those things so it's yep. just be careful
1: all right let's go over to
4: shizzle dizzle zach uh anything caught your eye yes um so Stephen reed has also been working on something for the wilder group build he has created a lovely monstrosity of an is2 i don't remember if this is something that is based on like drawings or, or what, but he took, he took the front of an IS-2, a Tamiya kit and scratch built like a pike nose, like an IS-3 would have onto it. And it is such a cool look because I mean, the IS-3 is just cool looking anyway, but it works really well on the IS-2. And then he's slapped one of those big old, um, one of the wilder turrets on there. Uh, and it's just, it just looks mean. Uh, He's got like full scratch built brass fenders. Uh, I think he's also putting a a mine plow or he's got the attachment points for it. So I guess I kind of accidentally stole his idea that I forgot about, but uh, I've also stolen half of his stuff at this point for my build anyway. So I guess it works out, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's just such a cool looking uh, design that he did and, it's it's not a an easy thing to scratch build all these angles either. So, I mean, it is very impressive. Like, he's got one, two, three, four, like five different plates that all match at a weird, funky angle. It's it's pretty cool. And I think he's got it in paint now as well, which, of course, looks good. He does 4BO very well.
1: Yeah, he's no Ian Bonner, but he's dang close. No, Steven is, Steven is great with the Russian armor. I agree with you. That's a great choice. Uh, let's go over to Jensen. Who looks very warm and and snuggy? Uh, anything <laughs> ca- anything catch your eye, my friend?
3: Certainly did. Um, the it's a P thirty eight J engine by Hansa Baranek. Now this is a it's a three D print P thirty eight J engine in one forty eight. It's going to be released in February. Uh, they also go by uh, forty eight scale hanger on Instagram. This is just really nice. You would not be able to tell this thing is three D printed with how smooth and how detailed it is. It looks just sublime. Um, It's really pretty, really detailed. It's got all the plumbing, all the parts. It's literally as as realistic as it can be. Uh, And if you go over to their Instagram, they have just just incredible work. Um, they they detail engines really well. The finishes on models are fantastic. Yeah, just all round really, really good modeling. Uh, and it stood out, yeah, because I do love an engine. And as soon as I saw it and realized it was 3D printed and you can buy it, and I imagine be able to maybe print it yourself. Yeah, yeah, it just uh, caught my eye straight away. Really, really nice. Really, really pretty.
1: I agree with that. It, it's uh, the piping. And like you said, everything just looks really, really terrific. I'm wondering, though, I'll bet that's uh, going to be a bit of work to get that all mounted in that boom. But, yeah, it's a gorgeous bit of work. Oh, yes. All right. I'm going to go with uh, one of our friends from the Four Corners. Um, Kev Smith has been uh, um, publishing photos of his uh, uh, 116th scale SDKFZ uh, 251 Hanomag, and uh, he's been focusing on the interior Man, that looks really, really good. You know, he's, he's, he's using earth tones and also the, the Dunkelgelb, uh, really effectively together. And, uh, it's, you know, it's almost a kid in and of itself because the, you know, the 251 is open top, but I don't know if you guys have seen it, but just a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, Kev's Kev's an artist. Kev's awesome. Really missed him at SMC this year. His work's astounding. And I've been talking to him a little bit about that build. Makes me want to keep mine in the box because he is crushing it. You know, we, we talked about Kev before on the show. I think from that earthy tone perspective in scale modeling that warmish brownish tone really his uh his pieces show the environment really well and uh his examples of his work's fantastic and i'm I'm curious to see if he adds any figures to it or just does a straight vehicle because he typically does a little scene with some figures and it all just really blends well together so awesome work and i'm saving every image for when i get back to mine
3: Hev does a technique that i wish i knew how but i can't it's where something is dry and dusty and dirty and gets saturated with like an oil spill and it gets absorbed by the dust. I don't know how he does it, but he does it damn well.
1: Also, oh, like he's combining like a dry pigment with like some kind of an enamel or... Don't it's know like what a, he does. It's, it's
3: magic. It's, <laughs> or magic. It's, black, it's a black magic. It's black magic. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's uh, it's a beautiful model. So well done, obviously, Kev. And uh, yeah, really, really inspiring. All right. Well, I think I think that's uh, all of us. Let's move over to Jensen and Zach uh, for a very, very full slate of upcoming model shows and events. If you have a model show that you would like us to uh, talk about on The Posse, you can send that to podcast at
3: gmail.com. Thank you, Scott. Um, so yeah, this is quite a comprehensive list. So we'll just try and get through them as quick as possible. So first, we have the third annual Winter Blitz show, which will be held on Saturday, January the 20th, at the Museum of the American GI in College Station, Texas. More details can be found at www.winterblitz.com. Then we have Model Fiesta 42, which will be held on Saturday, February 10th, at the New Brunsfeld Convention Center in New Brunsfeld, Texas. This year's theme is all things British. More details are available at modelfiesta.com. MidMichigan Model Makers presents the 4M Mayhem show on Saturday, February 3rd, Saginaw, uh, Valley State University from 8am to 4pm. Gundams are welcome and this year's theme is original TV series. For more information, check out www.midmichiganmodelmakers.com.
4: All right. Next up, we have the Fresno IPMS scale modelers present the Sprue Bowl post Super Bowl bash on February 17th at Fresno City College's main cafeteria. Doors open at 9 a.m. and general admission is free. Uh, you can check out more details over at the Fresno IPMS Facebook page. Our friend Rick Cooper is one of the team for this. Good luck, guys. Uh, then we have the 2024 Model Mania show, which will be held on February 17th, and 18th at the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Check out the details on Facebook on the Northwest Scale Modelers page. Uh, Next up is WrightCon, uh, made in Ohio. This will be held on March 23rd and 24th at the University of Dayton. Doors open both days at 9 a.m., and more details can be found at ipmsdayton.com. Next up, we have Heritage Con 15, which will be held at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum on Sunday, March 24th from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. More details at the IPMS Hamilton Canadian Warplane Heritage Modelers Club Facebook page. Uh, Then there is Commies Fest 2024 Eggplanes and Chibis. This will be held on Saturday, March 23rd at 9 a.m. at the Wings Over the Rockies Exploration of Flight Center.
3: The Buffcom 39 Scale Model Show will be held Sunday, April 7th at the Knights Event Center in Buffalo, New York. Doors open at 9am and will feature a bunch of new categories for juniors and also new categories for Gundam, Gunpla and Warhammer. You can contact Jeff Keenan for more details or go to www.ipmsniagarafrontier.com. The AMPS 2024 International Convention will be held April 11th till the 13th at the Century Center in South Bend, Indiana. Details at wwwamps armororg The Tulsa Modellers Forum and the Tulsa Miniature Motorworks at, are proud to present the Route 66 Model Expo. The show will be held Saturday, April 20th at Park Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Check with Casey Gray on Facebook
4: for more details. Then there is the Houston Model Mania Show, which will be held May 4th at the Stafford Center in Stafford, Texas, and has dual themes for 2024, May the 4th Be With You, and Adversaries. They will have a great vendor area, an awesome facility, and a special Subarashi Mecca Award for Best Mecca. They are also implementing a gold-silver-bronze system for this show. The Best of the West Model Show and Convention will be held Saturday, May 18th, at the Orleans Hotel and Casino. This show is put on by a group of five different modeling clubs, and runs from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Contact Jay Bergeron on Facebook for more details. Also, on May 18th, the Silver Wings Club in Sacramento present SilverCon 2024. This year's theme is 1944. Doors open at 9 a.m., and the show will be held at the Town and Country Lutheran Church in Sacramento, California. For more details, check out IPMS Silver Wings on Facebook or contact Drew Savage.
1: All right. Thanks, you guys. A great job on a huge list of shows. Well, let's move on to our main feature now. We had a chance to catch up with a good friend of ours, Mark Bradley and uh, talked to him uh, recently. Uh, That's a lot of fun. Uh, Besides being a lifelong Michigan fan and uh, somebody who's undoubtedly a happier guy today than he was a week ago, we got to talk about uh, Mark's hobby, uh, Mark's hobbies, uh, which not only include scale modeling, but making some amazing barbecue with his wife, Jamie, and a whole bunch of other topics. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome into the Plastic Posse podcast. Joining me today are John Bonani. JB, how you doing? I'm absolutely fantastic. And also, Doug Smith. Doug, how are you doing today?
5: I'm good, but you know, nine o'clock in the morning is kind of early for me on a Sunday.
1: So <laughs> yeah, I'm good though. Uh, that's good. And then also joining us is our guest of honor, the man in the hot seat, owner and uh, purveyor of uh, Bradley Hobbies Incorporated, Mr. Mark Bradley. How you doing, Mark?
6: good thank you for uh, uh, inviting me appreciate it it's an honor
1: (laughs) no problem Uh, for those of you that might not know mark is a a renowned modeler uh, who does all kinds of uh, different genres and we'll get into that and uh, he also is a great dedicated hobbyist who who gets into lots and lots of different things so mark let's get started with just um, tell us a little bit about who mark is and how how he got into the hobby
6: Well, um, I was fortunate that my parents owned a hobby shop uh, when I was born north of Detroit up in a city called Mount Clemens. Uh, They owned All-American Hobbies uh, in the early 70s. So I spent basically the first five years of my life on the countertop at the hobby shop, building everything from snap kits to doing RC stuff. I mean, there's eight millimeter photo of me on a picnic table with an old tester's control line spinning around that my grandfather took. I was like four years old and I was like, yeah, I have no memory of that. Um, but started doing that as a kid. Uh, continued on through childhood. Kept building kits, stuff like that. Uh, my folks closed the hobby shop in about '77. Uh, continued on. You know, like I said, doing kits as a kid through teens and all that. I, you know, unlike some folks, you know, that kind of got out of it when they found girls and cars and all that. I continued. I was always encouraged by both my my um, my stepdad, dad, if you will, and then uh, as my my mother and my grandparents and stuff always you know wanted me to continue on and encouraged it didn't necessarily understand it you know but they hey you know keep going and then in uh, i came out to colorado in about 92 and um basically just continued on i had joined a local ipms chapter here been part of that uh for a long time and then uh, just kept doing aircraft and then I got into figures in the aircraft and then transitioned to armor a little bit and then did uh, miniatures, got into 40K because of a friend of mine and started doing space marines and playing the games and stuff like that. So yeah, I kind of do do a lot of things and been doing it since.
1: You've got a an ally uh, that a lot of people kind of, I think, wish they had. And, and that's obviously uh, Mrs. Bradley, uh, Jamie. Talk to us a little bit about what it's like to have a, a partner who's, you know, into the hobby almost as much as you are. And, you know, the, the advantages and benefits of kind of working together on your hobby.
6: Yeah. My, my wife and I, um, we've been together 10 years, uh, Jamie, and, and and we had uh, met playing video games, uh, World of Warcraft specifically. And then she took a chance and came out here and, and we've been together since in 2013. She came out in April, 2013. And so, that's later that year is when they had the IPMS Nats in Loveland. And so we went up there. It's just literally 10 miles up the road for us. Uh, went up there, uh, introduced her to some some friends of mine and stuff like that. She had never been around scale modeling, never done any of that. She did have, you know, Christmas villages and stuff like that. And she, she was would do little dioramas and stuff around for Christmas and things uh, and had various collectibles and stuff, but hadn't really been exposed to it. She went to Nats with me. And a friend of mine who was more of a mentor named Kevin Sudarth, people called him Suds, a long time member around here. He took her. He's like, yeah, thank you. I'm going to take her and show her the real world. And went off and she fell in love with Tiger's tanks, like German armor and stuff. I've never heard anybody refer to a Tiger One tank as cute, except her, you know, or before her, I should say. But she's really been supportive of it. At that show, she went and bought you know the couple of t- couple of kits of her own and stuff, and did that. And then also with the figures and stuff, she started reading up on Warhammer and stuff. She fell in love with the orcs just because they're kind of like a Mad Max vibe. You know, they're they're a bit of the 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 comedy group of uh, Warhammer, and so she just had a lot of fun with it and stuff. The challenge is is that she's very supportive of the hobby, but if I bring home say a new armor kit and she'll look at it. I'll go to Copart, you know, like with you guys and stuff or whatever, or Screw Brothers. I'll get that kit. And if it she likes it, the risk is she goes, where's yours? <laughs> and I'm like, the first time that happened, I, I thought she was kidding. And no, She wasn't kidding. She's like, this is mine. I have a shelf in the basement. She set up. So she did the whole Bradley Hobbies basement. She took everything out of boxes that I had in storage, boxes and stuff like that, set it all up on display shelves and and stuff like this. And she's carved out a section for her. And so she takes the kit and she'll go over and she'll put it on the shelf for her. And I'm like, "Uh, what just happened? She's like, you need to go order another (laughs) kit for you. And I'm like...
1: This is mine now. Are you
6: serious? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I was like, I, I, I was like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. I'm like, um, 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 what just happened? You know that type of thing. And and it's been great. She's very supportive of it. She will tell me, go down to the bench. I mean, this whole setup I have here with the the workbench and stuff. She was like, you know what? Let's go through and she rearranged it during COVID. So you know, she went through and set up her workspace, my workspace. We got all the. The you know, the storage stuff from Hobby Zone and and did all that and and just been great. Like I said, it's cool. It's fantastic because she's very supportive of it. She will tell me like last night, go down and join the Zoom call with you guys. And hang out, go enjoy your friends, hang out. She's always pushing me to one. It's not like get out of my hair, leave me alone, that type of thing. It's go enjoy it. Go have fun. Okay. So
0: I also think you have a lot to learn from her because when I've been into your workshop, her bench is much cleaner than yours.
6: You know, we have a, a thing uh, that, that it calls we're number one. It usually starts with the middle finger.
1: <laughs> so. it, 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 only, it only hurts when it's true, right, Mark? It, it's true.
6: Absolutely. So, like, when we had you guys over for dinner in November after the show up in, in Loveland, I went through the week before and I literally cleaned everything up. She was like, wow, really? You're organizing stuff? <laughs> I mean, there's a bench that she has for card, little table she had set up for her scrapbooking and stuff. And, yeah, I went through and... Had to clean it up because I'm like, I gotta make a good
1: impression for the boys. You did you didn't need to make an impression. The barbecue did did that for you, but <laughs> <laughs> we can we can get into that a little bit later. But Ian you know, just kind of still the staying with the subject of, you know, Jamie, it's just awesome how you guys have your benches facing each other so that not only can you both work on your hobbies, but you can sit there and kind of have your own Zoom call right in your own <laughs> basement, right? You can sit there and have a conversation and, and work with somebody that it's just, it's just uh, something that a lot of modelers don't have.
6: Yeah. It's been, I've been very fortunate. I, I have a wife that supports me um, and I support her a hundred percent in all her hobbies, you know, as you'll find out. <laughs> it's been you know the thing with covid when that came out that's when we set up the whole zoom station and stuff like that because the clubs and our friends and stuff like this we were having those zoom calls on a, a bi-weekly or weekly basis and so we we went through and reconfigured everything and did all this so that you know we could participate in those activities and could continue on with the hobby and do you know stuff like we have been and it's 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 i've been very fortunate that's for sure
0: so yeah, Mark, let, let, fantastic. I I I love Jamie. I think you know, as as Scott pointed out, it's it's not just you going to a show; it's both of you. And I think that companionship is incredibly important. You know, when I think about that relationship, and and maybe you know, maybe this is a higher level question and and, and unique for a scale modeling podcast. Uh, but you know, what do you think the key is to success in that? How how do you find that you guys work so well together? You support each other a lot. Like what, you know, if if you could give our listeners a takeaway, like what 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 makes that so successful for you and her? Cause I think that's incredibly important to share. I think, you know, a lot of people you know, want to do things together with their spouse. And and if modeling is scale modeling is a, is an opportunity, I I think it'd be great to learn more about what makes your relationship so great. Cause we have a lot of friends where their wives will stop in and say hi during the zoom sessions. And I think, I think what you have with Jamie is something very special. So, you know, what, what, what's the key to success in that?
6: Great question. I hadn't prepared for, Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, how do I explain? So, well, to be honest though, the, the, For us, it was, we were both in our mid, early 40s, I should say, when we got together. So it's been 10 years. I'm, you know, it will be 52, 53 this year. And you got two independent people that are like porcupines trying to kiss, right? Where we're used to doing our. I had my hobbies. She has her things and her stuff. She loves to cook. That's her. I mean, I didn't get this way by, you know, saying, no, 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 please, Uh, not not another bite. Okay. So for us, it's been, when we got together, we basically started just, you know, we, we didn't, we weren't like in our twenties or anything like that. So we already had established lives, ways of operating, you know, independent stuff like that. It's a conscious effort every day to make sure that I support her 100%. She supports me 100% regardless of what we're doing. There's times where because of that independence, we'll play devil's advocate with one another. You know, it's like, there's times where it's like, well, I'm going to go to Cole park and head to the hobby shop. She's like, yeah, go to Cole park, get out of my hair. Um, yes, ma'am. So I totally times like that now, but uh, you know she's gonna I'm gonna pay for this uh, <laughs> yeah thanks she's she's hundred percent supportive it's funny she will you know it's it's a I support her in the cooking and the different stuff and all that. she's captain, she leads the team, she leads the the uh, you know when we're doing that her hobbies and stuff i she leads I follow uh when we're doing stuff related to my hobbies, I lead she'll follow. That type of thing. We'll play off of each other like that. We started going Nats during, you know, uh, really going during Vegas, right? Because after COVID, we wanted out of the house. There, it was like we started just basically supporting it. During the vendor's room, there was my crates with the stuff that I'd picked up. And then there were her crates with the stuff she picked up. So it's it's 100%, you know, we're on, you know, supportive of one another. I, I don't know if that answers the question. <laughs>
1: Yes. No, I think, <laughs> I think it's just honestly, you know, you got a bunch of guys here that just really admire what you have. And it's great because I mean, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Jamie's a lot of fun. She doesn't just sort of now you go do that. I mean, you know, a lot of times she's right there by your side, whether it's mm-hmm. at a model show or in the mm-hmm. basement slash hobby room. <laughs> yes. Bradley <laughs> yeah. hobbies. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
6: Yeah, I mean, that she'll come down and sit at her bench and stuff and, and tinker with her stuff and all that while I'm doing it. You know, we're setting this up, the storage and, and all the, you know, the stuff on the workspace. I wanted to make sure that we had an opening in the center so that we could see each other and have that conversation. You know, um, I, I have a bit of a hearing disability and uh, actually my left ear only has about 20 percent hearing. And so I tend to have to when people are talking or I'm talking to people or something like that. I tend to have to see the face. So when she's talking to me, I got to kind of read lips, if you will, that type of thing, or make sure I understand what's going on. So it's important for me to see my wife across from me, <laughs> it's, you know, doing hobbies and doing stuff and all that. And we're having fun. The funny thing is, is that, you know, like all marriages and, and stuff is like, you know, there's definitely give and take. But I've always recommended when she was getting into the hobby to start painting and stuff like this, like go talk to a couple other people other than me on how to do hobbies. I'm not the best teacher. I'm also her husband. So there's that little different dynamic. And, you know, in some cases, you know, it's, it's, we're not necessarily the best relationships. It's like if our spouse is telling us something, Hey, you're like, okay, do I, do I tune it out or not? You know, that type of thing. No, stop teasing.
5: Well, you mentioned that Jamie likes to cook and we all kind of have experienced it. Um, when we came to the high Plains show, in November, mm-hmm. she didn't come to the show because she was tending the grills. Um, <laughs> Honestly, some of the best barbecue I've had was at your home. And you. uh, tell us, how did you guys get into that? And is it is it more her than you, or do you get to participate in that?
6: It's actually 50-50. Well? We got into it back um, around 2014. We were having uh, here at the house, uh, when I bought the house in 2008, before we got together, it just had one of those little eight by eight builder pads for patio, right? Little square. And so in 2014, when I went through and wanted to basically extend the patio and and do it all across the back of the house, so we had plenty, you know, a lot of room. One of the things we did was we had, as that was before, just before we started doing that activity was we bought an upright uh, vertical smoker, like a small propane smoker that you got from, you know, one of the DIY stores and started playing with that. And we spent that entire summer just doing spare ribs, St. Louis style ribs. We tried the different rubs and, and sauces and stuff like that. And this is where it came in for her, more or less her hobby was she started to tinker in the kitchen with her own rubs and her own sauces. So during that first summer, all we cooked every weekend was ribs. And we gave them, we had sent over metal trays with A and you know B on them to our neighbors. And we'd like, okay, here's, here's some meat, try it. Here's some ribs and this and that. Try it. Uh, tell us what you think. Our our neighbors were fantastic. Yeah, they love this.
1: Your to, poor neighbors. Yeah,
6: seriously. To this day, they're like, "What do you got?" Um,
1: yeah. I I am available for beta test. Seriously,
6: <laughs> and we spent the entire summer going through it, and some were too salty, this and that, and we. And then when she started tinkering with our her own rub and then the sauce, it was like. Of about August and September, it was A or B. One of them was some store-bought one, store-bought one, and then another one was our homemade one. And she kept tweaking it, and tweaking it, and that was through 2014. And then in 15, we switched to brisket. Pretty much had the the beta testing there for the latter latter few months. They kept coming back to liking our individual rub and sauce combination for the stuff that she did. So she's like, okay, we've got that. Next year, we did brisket every weekend, brisket, you know, or or pretty much every weekend we were doing briskets. I was like, okay. And then around 2000, and and we just kept doing that through the different, you know, working on the different meats, like chicken, chicken, not so much, but a little bit here and there. Um, But we just kind of kept working through it until she figured out her own rubs and sauces and stuff like that, that what we like. And then we did a, a practice cook in 2021, local barbecue supply store up here. And they had a practice cook. And we went up, you know, we went over uh, to the store. Never saw it before. We had breakfast and came out, and there's a bunch of smokers out in a little shopping center. We're like, oh, okay. And then we we went over there, and they had talked to Jamie about a practice cook, which is you cook all four meats just like a KCBS contest. I'm like, okay, so you start on Friday night. You're doing brisket, pork shoulder, uh, ribs, and chicken. I'm like, okay. And then we went and did. Uh, but the cook, kicker was, it was run like a normal model contest. You just turn your stuff in, and you, you you get your prize or whatever. But this one, you actually sat down with the judges for ten minutes, and they while they judged your food, and you sat there, and they said, "Well, this is too salty. This is too sweet." Or they, they gave you the critique. So,
0: would you say that's feedback?
6: Oh yes, trust
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> oh
6: man, <laughs>
0: I hate that word. But oh, Oh, I hate that
6: word. <laughs> Sorry. uh yes yes it was feedback we were feeding them and they were giving it back to us <laughs> I get your reference though <laughs> but yeah so we we did that and then um kind of uh took the um took all the advice and feed you know feedback back to thanks <laughs> feedback to heart and went back and adjusted things and stuff like that now what's funny is is that the barbecue supply place about six weeks later had a rib contest and Jamie's like I want to enter it okay. We showed up on the, we, we signed up, showed up, did all that. And we were expecting, we had low expectations. I mean, uh, and, and we didn't expect anything, you know, figured we'd be last or whatever. And we, they went through all the names and we were just sitting there looking at each other and, and, and stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, we kind of figured it would be like this. And then they called her name for grand champion. And I was like, I can't repeat because it's a family show what I said, <laughs> but uh, clearly on the video, totally. <laughs> 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 and she won, the smoker that we actually cooked the dinner on, and that's where you know we, we we added that to our the pellet smoker and stuff So
5: Well, we all really appreciate how much time that y'all put into uh, tweaking it and all that. You gave uh you gave us uh, sent us home with samples of your your some of your rubs. I've used them both. I think they're fantastic. <laughs> I do uh recommend if anybody gets a chance they should uh get in touch. How would they get in touch with you? Is there do you have a, a are you shipping stuff out? Do you have a little business going with the rubs?
6: We have a little business uh with the rubs. We started it up uh, uh, basically a, a little over a year ago, but it's mostly for it's it's a cottage industry. So it's spices, sweets and meats. Uh and here in Colorado it's we can only do it like I put it in your hand type thing. I can't we can't ship because we're still going through Figuring, you know, foods, food products are there's a lot of regulations around it with the FDA and certifications and testing and stuff like that. So uh, we've, we're saving up to get a lot of that stuff done that would allow us to. I mean, in some cases, the testing's like 1,200 to 1,500 bucks a, a, a skew. So each rub is there's 1,500 bucks that type of thing. So it, it's taking a little bit money to go from there. So that's why when put if I put it in your hand here in Colorado, that's it. I can't ship it out of state. We can't. We don't have a website to do it. It's mostly at shows like the competition shows that we do, or word of mouth, like with you guys, that type of stuff. Because we do fall under the cottage industry uh, at this time. So, so next time you guys want some, next time you're here in March, there we go. We'll hook you up.
1: <laughs> Beta testing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, we hope
0: you have a table at Commies Fest again. That that worked out really well last year, I think, for you.
6: That's. We'll see how that goes. We're talking talking about it and possibly doing that. Uh, in March, again, uh, we had pretty good reception with that. We sent you guys home with the leftovers. So
0: <laughs> but, it, it paired very well with the tank craft cutting mats, the Tamiya products and the Funfetti cake. So I don't, I don't think you can get a better pairing there.
6: <laughs> yeah, they did well. Thanks. Now she, she had we did really good at that show. She got a lot of positive comments and stuff because she gave out some samples and stuff. So. Did really well. But hopefully we'll see how it goes with with, uh, you know, March and stuff. So we're still planning for this year, which we're, what we're going to be doing and attending. So I am planning on being there. So if somebody <laughs> wants to find Mark Bradley,
5: you have a Facebook page they can they can find you at.
6: I do. I started uh, for modeling and, uh, you know, for, for the model hobbies and stuff like that. We, I, I basically started a Facebook page called Glue, Sprue and Barbecue. That's where I'll be posting all scale models, miniatures, all hobby-related activities, including pictures of our barbecue on that. For the barbecue rubs and sauces, we have a a Facebook page called Spices, Sweets, and Meats. That's Jamie's company with the the rubs and sauces and stuff, and we
1: post pictures and stuff there. Pictures don't do it justice, folks.
6: (laughs) Yeah, when we did the the hobby thing, glue sprue and barbecue, I was like, how do I incorporate that in the... Seriously, we had a whiteboard on the fridge, and it's kind of like coming up with band names. You know, sometimes you say things, you're like, "Oh, that'd be a perfect band name," you know, and you write it down. That's what we were doing. We were putting names up both for the spices, sweets, and meats, but also when I was like doing the the hobby related, you know, uh, Facebook page, um, and it was wanted to include all of them. You know, the the barbecue, the the scale models, the figures, and stuff like that. You know, I left the RC out of it, but yeah. That's just a summertime hobby for me.
0: So that's a good lead in, Mark. I think, you know, when I was over your house, I noticed three major hobbies. There's the scale modeling. There's mm-hmm. the war gaming, mm-hmm. which you have a whole, not even an army, but I think a whole the whole NATO force behind you in terms of <laughs> <laughs> yeah our armies with an S and then you have your own private air force in the corner with a, what is that? A one, six scale B 25.
6: Uh, that is the, I think one 10th, something like that. It's the top flight B 25 that, that, uh, came out years ago around 2008 timeframe. Uh, it's got a couple of OS 55 AX engines on it, uh, that are nitromethane stuff. It's actually, uh, built by, uh, a good friend of the club. And, um, you know, he, he wanted it to go to a good home when he got stage four cancer. And so he, he, uh, uh, came up and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sell this to you and only you. Uh, and, and he made me an offer. I couldn't refuse, you know, it's like 200 bucks. I'm like, well, what?
0: So, $200 for that. $200. Oh my gosh.
6: Yeah. Turnkey ready to go.
0: What's the wingspan uh, yeah. on that? Six, seven feet?
6: There, thereabouts. I think it's about 80, 80 some inches, 80, 82 inches, 88 inches, something like that. Um, yeah, off of a, it.
0: Well, if a all small right. dog or cat ever needs a ride anywhere, you can just put them in that and <laughs> <laughs> they can go on a mission. So, yeah. you know, with, with all these hobbies, Mark, you talked about balance, maybe time of the year, you know, maybe talk a little bit about that. Seems like you fly during the summer and maybe scale model war game at other times.
6: Pretty much. Uh, you know, my folks... You know we had the hobby shop as a kid and so scale modeling has been there always you know that type of thing the i got back around 2006 i got back into rc airplanes uh about the first trainer and stuff and been in it since but it's mostly here in colorado we've got so much sunshine right um so usually from about april to October, I'll at least one weekend or so, mostly try to get out and fly in RC, you know, fly at the airfield. So I, my, my biological father lives here in Colorado and it's kind of like our hobby that we do together. Cause he, uh, when he had the hobby shop, that's where, you know, he, he was in the RC airplanes and stuff. So that's kind of the thing that we do together. Scale modeling. I do in figures I'll do build a, anytime I'm not flying during the summers and throughout the winters, that's, that's the hobby for me because I work from home 15 feet away is my, my work desk upstairs in the rec room, and I can always come down here, sit down, get lunch, have my lunch or something like that, or in between set, whatever I happen to be doing, I can come down here, spend a little bit of, you know, 5, 10 minutes or whatever and tinker with the models, um, whether it's building and stuff, and that's partly why I have so many shelf fadum kits is because I just start something and have a hard time finishing it, but, you know. It'll get done, but that's kind of what I end up doing is throughout that, is take her with that and do that, do that part. But
0: yeah. And when did you take the plunge into three D printing?
6: January twenty one. I've been looking for it for a while, and looking at it and stuff. Kind of interested in it. There was a gentleman out of the UK, Michael K. Um, he goes by the Facebook handle Crayon Monkey. Um, he's a prop artist, and he and I were talking and stuff. He was doing different things for was putting together parts for 3d printing parts for the Samaya Corsair. Okay. And so he kept doing AnyCubic, and he and I started having a conversation, Facebook messenger style and stuff like that. I really was kind of like, okay. And then any cubic had a new year's day special. I jumped on the, you know, getting the photon mono. And I mean, it was, it was between they had a combo with that and the washing cure station. So I just went ahead and showed it to Jamie and she's like, that that's all it is. I mean, it was, you know, like 250 bucks for both of them or something like that for the special. It was just insane, insanely cheap. And, my wife being the supportive individual that she is was like get it okay went ahead and ordered it up and and it took took a while to to get here it was like probably the end of january early part of february before we had everything set up and just kind of started dabbling i've i've started printing up things for figures and detail sets for the figures and stuff like that as well as for armor kits you know the jackson stanton stuff for the m18 hellcat been printing that up and you know tank brusher and you know all the different homebrew and different different folks that are doing parts and stuff, I've been getting them. And I got these little tackle box type organizers that I'll print the parts out and put them in there for a future project, that type of thing. But it's been interesting. And then this year here, we just upgraded to the the X2, just probably, I want to say around September, I got it. Uh, just before you guys came to the house, I, I don't, maybe a month before I got it. Haven't had a chance to really dive into that, but I'm looking to do bigger projects like, you know, print, you know, complete larger scaled models and stuff. It's been interesting. I'm mostly a printer. I haven't figured out. I'm not a CAD designer and stuff like that. I've reached out to, well, a couple of folks that we both know, Jackson, Stanton, and Grizz, um, Zach Grizzle and stuff for, for help. And they've been kind enough to to kind of like throw me a bone every now and then, that type of thing. Yeah, they're um, good
0: people once in yeah, a while. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Well, that, I think that's encouraging because, you know, a lot of people we talk about 3D printing all the time. And I think it, it does scare people. But, you know, if 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 there's anything to be learned here, anybody can do it. And, you know, it, it's it's an addiction, it seems it's certainly with me and I, I think mm-hmm. with you as well, based on looking at your table there, and how many things you have printed.
6: Well, well it was both. Uh, so a while back, I reached out to. You know, when, when you guys were here, I started talking with both Scott and Doug uh, mm-hmm. about, you know, the the 3D printing, and they recommended, you know, Soraya Tech, and I went with that for, for changing the, the resin stuff, and I'm like, cool, and a couple of figures and stuff that I've painted so far, with it, it's their night and day from what I was using from, like, the Anycubic Basic, but... It's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to printing out a lot more stuff.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I use Soraya Tech as well, and I have BJ DeBecker to thank for that. I had Mm -hmm. struggled with printing, and then he talked me through it and helped out a lot. And then the, the Soraya Tech stuff, especially the Navy Gray, I have a lot of luck with it. Now, I will say, listeners, it's not for everyone. Jackson Stanton, probably listening, is throwing things across the room because he doesn't agree with Soraya tech, but it, it, it works for me. I know that saying doesn't carry much weight in the world, but no, you know, all jokes aside, I think it's important. Uh, you know, you just kind of hit on it. Once you find that, you know, magic elixir and it works for you, I think it, it turns headaches into, you know, smiles. And I, I remember going over to your house and just seeing the loads of prints you have, especially all those little Battletech guys, and they look fantastic. And I think once you create, you know, once you start getting production quality stuff like that, it's it's just makes it fun, and I can't wait to see bigger projects you do with that big AnyCubic. I think you could probably print a a Warhammer tank, probably two on the build plate for crying Uh, out loud.
6: I might uh, that might have been the purpose behind it. To be honest, Uh, I was like, ooh, the larger build plate, I could do a few things. Hmm, there's a lot of good, you know, over on 3D Cult or was it Cults 3D? I'm, I'm, you know, I would say 3D Cults, but. Uh, Yeah. The purple site. Yeah. The purple site. Exactly. Uh, There's, there's a lot of good, you know, original, you know, uh, models out there that uh, uh, I'm looking forward to printing. As we
0: talk about your setup and your bench and some of the unique pieces you have, you know, 3d printing wash cure stations. One of the other things I found very interesting and I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. And I'd love for you to talk us through it is the little easy bake oven. As you refer to, (laughs) I, I think it's one of the coolest things in the world. Talk, talk us through, you know, what it is, how you use it, and what are the benefits you find with it?
6: Sure, it's so if you get the MicroMark catalog, okay, they have it's called the MicroMake Doctor Dry Booth, okay, and I have the vertical version. There's a horizontal, big, larger horizontal one, then there's a smaller version one, and it's it's essentially a dehumidifier in in a sense, but it's perfect for the desktop. It's got multiple repositional shelves and all that nice little timer, or it can be on all that. The cool thing about it. And, and it was, it was one of those things like I here in Colorado, especially in the basement, I had a a problem with clear coats. I did a a 48 scale, the British Humber. Right. And when I clear coated it because of the way, you know, the, the way it was happened to be that day or whatever down here, it frosted just ruined the finish. And I was like, oh, crap, what the hell? How do I fix this? And somebody recommended getting like a dry booth or whatever. And so I ended up looking for that, saw it uh, in in the MicroMark catalog and then went ahead and and like, well, let's, I picked it up. In about 10, 15 minutes in the dry booth, acrylics and most paints are done like 24 hours secure. And so I'm able to, especially with the figures, I'll put the detail on it or do whatever, spray the clear coat, put it in the dry booth for about 10 15 minutes, they're done. It's hard. I can go right on to weathering with enamels, oils, whatever, throw that back in the dry booth when it's done, run it for another 15 minutes and they're dry. So it cures everything almost, you know, pretty much to some like lacquers. It might take a, a little extra, you know, like, Ooh, I'll put it in there for 20 minutes or something like that. But it's, it cures it to where there's no, I've never had a problem with a clear coat uh, ever again. I, I, I shoot Aqua gloss, I shoot to Maya clear, I shoot all the other ones, you know, the, the Vallejo and, and Mig uh, lucky varnishes and stuff like that without any issues, spray it, put it in the dry booth done and comes out perfect. And it allows me to sit because of that. I don't have to wait overnight to move on to the next color or do the next thing. Um, you know, I can throw them in there for 15, 10, 15 minutes, go up, make a sandwich, come back down or get a, get a refill of my coffee or something like that, come back down and I'm ready to start the next color. Definitely, definitely worth, worth the, the, the cost. And, and cause it's in saving me time and an effort and, and frustration with having, you know, a messed up finish.
1: That's pretty innovative. I, I'm going to have to look into that. Uh, yeah, you're the you're the first person that, you know, you always kept talking about this uh, easy bake oven. I'm like, what is he talking <laughs> That's what Jamie about, you it. know? <laughs> See, uh, you have mental picture. I haven't you tried brownies it. yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was you know. going to say, man, down there making cupcakes while you're painting your Beat efforts. Jerky. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I want to get back to uh, Bradley Hobbies. You know, we gave you a hard time about it, but, you know, you had mentioned, uh, you know, James, me kind of bringing some organization. But, you know, for for the people that haven't been in your basement, kind of uh, let people uh, in on uh, what your basement space and your hobby space looks like. What does Bradley hobbies look like? <laughs>
6: Um, Okay. So Bradley Hobbies, our house has what they call a garden level basement. So it's not this full massive basement. It's literally, we're a Colorado multi-level house. And so it's probably about 15 feet wide and 30 feet long. Okay. Um, One portion, about a third of it, Jamie's stacked up or, or, you know, added the uh, garage type storage shelves know some plastic stuff there so we've got one two three four rows of the model kits two long rows and then two short rows that's where we have she's got everything categorized for like the aircraft models are on one section then you've got the armor set kits you've got the warhammer uh although all the gw and warhammer and sci-fi kits you got the helicopter kits and then you've got one two three four five six shelves of doom sorry <laughs>
1: So. That that would be the scratch and dent section. <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah. And then because uh, we've got everything, you know, the one of the half of the racks is her kits and her kits alone, but uh, like her armor stuff and all that. And then you've got our workspaces, where, which are basically six-foot tables, uh, folding tables that she set up with the hobby zone storage stuff. She called it storage porn when we started looking through the catalog and stuff because they're all the, the little MDF you know, the NDF stuff that you assemble. And so we bought a bunch of that with, uh, during one Christmas, went through and just spent, you know, with the Dremel and putting it all together and getting that set up. And then she added a couple of extra tables along the w- window here for like the Zoom, the, the computer set up, the dry booth, um, and then a table behind me, which has the 3D printers plus the photo station she set up. And she added, uh, because the little... Photo booth doesn't have it. We ended up getting these little uh, um, on-off buttons through Amazon to turn the devices on and off. That type of thing works out well. And then the last third, if you will, is the RC hobbies, furnace stuff like that. You know, the airplanes and there's probably about a dozen giant scale. That's mostly what I fly is the giant scale. So they're most of them are thirty to thirty-five cc airframes, and that's with gas. Like, and then there's but I do have one fifty cc uh, extra that, that, uh, um, is, you know, basically I fly stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Really impressive uh, aircraft for sure. Um, you, you kind of mentioned that, you know, Jamie likes to build armor and also orc armies. Let's get into what Mark likes to build. You know, I know there's obviously a, a wide range, but what are maybe some of your primary interests, um, that you like to, you know, model on your, your own bench?
6: Um, Well, uh, I started out as a kid. I was doing aircraft and cars because we had, you know, the the, the hobby shop had closed in the late 70s. And then I was basically, when we lived in Michigan and stuff, we'd occasionally go to different hobby shops and stuff. And I'd get mostly aircraft and all that. About 10 years old, we moved down to Tennessee uh, where my mother's from, and most of my teenage years, well, all of my teenage years, were pretty much there in Tennessee. And so there we were at KB Toys, and wa- you know Walmart didn't have them back then, but we'd hit like KB's toy store and 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 other things like that. So I was doing aircraft and and some armor testers kits, monogram, the usual ones that you could get available, and till about '89, and then we used to make yearly trips up to up to uh, uh michigan for visiting family and stuff for my dad's side of the family or my stepdad's side of the family and there I, I would um they would stop by a hobby shop and we picked up they picked up hasagawa f-14 72nd scale f-14 for me and then the tamaya m60a3 and that really was like ooh that was my first armor kit i built them and, and did all that so for the longest time i was like strictly aircraft i dabbled in armor i kind of did cars and away now then until about the mid nineties, when a friend of mine turned me on to Warhammer. And then I started doing, uh, I was asked to, to paint up a box of space Marines for the local hobby town for display. And I went ahead and did that. And then he took the display case out and he said, you, you know, when I finished the models, like in a month, they'd already taken the display case out and they're like, Oh, you can keep them. Okay. So I just had these 10 guys painted. I'm like, okay. And then a friend of mine kind of got me into it and, you know, I'd help them for tech support and You know, he'd give me a few models here and there and stuff like that for, you know, uh, that type of thing from his collection and stuff. And then I kind of transitioned into over the last 20 years, I do sci-fi models as well. I've got the fine molds, Star Wars kits. You guys have turned me on to the Bandai Star Wars kits, and I've been added to that. I I really, for armor, I love doing the 48 scale, Tamiya 48 scale armor because they're, you know, being an aircraft modeler for so many years that was my scale and armor. I feel, you know, like right here, I've got this Sherman that I'm hoping to have done by amps that, you know, I've been working on for a little bit and, you know, it'll hopefully get there. And it's, it's just the right scale for me to experiment. And if I screw it up, even though I'm going to have, you know, sleepless nights because I screwed it up and my wife will laugh at me and make fun of me at times, like really big baby, just, You've not like you don't have enough of them. another one. I could just pull off the shelf and do it again. Yes, dear. We give each other a hard time. And but yeah, it was so like 48 scale armor. I just didn't really enjoy. um, And, and as well as the figures.
1: Yeah. And you you had a Darth Vader's uh, TIE fighter uh, that you brought to combis. And then I think you brought it to nationals as well, right? Correct.
6: I was very fortunate when I took it to Commies, it actually got best sci-fi. So I got first place and then I got best sci-fi. And there's there's this great little picture of me with a buddy shot standing there next to JB, you know, like you know, holding the little little thing, uh the the, the medallion and stuff. And then when we went to to San Marcos, I went ahead and entered the category and um I got a first place for it there. And I'd never uh, we took stuff to Vegas, we took stuff to Omaha. I took stuff to to San Marcos, and this was the first time. This and the little uh, submarine that I did, uh, German U-boat I did, were the first time I ever placed it in Nats.
1: Well, it was well-deserved. It's a beautiful build, and uh, you incorporated a really nice base from Bases by Bill, you know, underneath it. Just a really nice presentation and um, really, really liked it. So, well-deserved on that build. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. So –
5: So if you you're talking about Star Wars stuff, Mm -hmm. there's something else going on at your home that that we haven't touched on yet, and it has to do with Star Wars. I know we don't usually talk about religion or politics here, but tell us about the (laughs) Star Wars room.
6: (laughs) So when Jamie and I first together first got together, I asked a very important question: Star Wars or Star Trek? She was adamant. She goes, Star Trek: Next Generation. I'm like, Yeah, fine. We still have that argument because I'm a Kirk fan on Star Trek, and she's a Picard fan fine you know it's the haircut i think i had so much stuff i collected from star wars the toys and the figures and stuff as a kid um i had a little toy chest we actually have a a toy chest that my uh, best friend put together years ago with all the gi joe blueprints okay on it that he he and his, his his family laminated it Took the little toy chest from Ikea and put all the G.I. Joe blueprints that came with the figures, all wallpapered it, based it, basically, and sealed it. And that holds various toys and G.I. Joe collections and stuff like that. Well, I had all this Star Wars memorabilia from, you know, stuff like the celebra- first celebration that was here held at the Wings Over the Rockies Museum here in Colorado back in 99 when, you know, when they did the uh, um, episode one, you know, that type of thing. They held that celebration here, and I had a bunch of stuff from that. All this, I had all these different things, various boxes and stuff like this. Jamie had the idea of, instead of having it strewn throughout the house or in boxes or whatever, she took the spare room upstairs and transformed it into the Star Wars room. She had red curtains. As a kid, I was a fan of Rebels. As an adult, I can totally understand and align with the Empire. I mean, I was one of those Warped children. I Darth Vader was my childhood hero. We had so she put all this stuff together, did the decorating, got a whole couch to match the the motif for the Empire, and turned this whole thing into a Star Wars room. We had friends and family come over. They're like, "Oh, can we stay in a Star Wars room?" Sure, you know. My buddy, his kids were there. We'd roll out the ro- the, the the couch turned into a bed. The adults, the parents, got the comfy bed. The kids all loved the the rollaway bed, you know, the, the hideaway bed, so to speak. And they were like, "Wow," you know, just. You got this and that. And part of the collection, I have the whole Hot Wheels Star Wars collection uh, in a box because we don't have enough display cases to support that. Jamie would search out and find in you know all that and figures and different things and stuff like that um, for that. When we started the barbecue business, we needed an office. So we turned that into spare room and back into our office and we moved all the Star Wars d- display cases and stuff down to our rec room. And then she turned the whole rec room into the new Star Wars room. So we added models, books, reference books, and put IKEA shelving up and stuff like that. But also she had took one of the display cases and put all the Star Wars Legos that we have. Because she's a big Lego geek. That's her other hobby. And so we have that. And then just before you guys came out uh, a couple of years ago, we found that Hallmark was doing special ornaments. And so now when we set up in the star Wars room for Christmas, we have a special star Wars tree with the ornaments and stuff like that, that play, you know, the various scenes and stuff through new hope, including the battle of the Avon. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a geek room. We we have a lot of fun with it.
5: Well, when we were there, Jamie, uh, after we had the tour of the house, Jamie said, comes to me and says, did he show you the tree? So uh, yes, he showed me the tree. I got to watch. I got to watch A New Hope on that tree. Um, it was pretty great.
6: Yeah, she was, she, we, Christmas is her favorite time of the year. And so she loves to decorate the house. I mean, matter of fact, she's turned this house into a home. And, and that was the big thing when I had, I, I had, I had bought the house as a, as you know, um, in 2008, when, when I was single and stuff. And when she moved in the walls, I hadn't even painted the walls. I had some test swatches that, you know, had some neutral colors on it and stuff like this in the living room. And she's like, it looks like a baby threw up on it. Um, I'm <laughs> like, Great, thanks, honey. Um, and so she went through and painted, redid the whole house, all this stuff, and, and really turned it into a home. And during the this time of the year, she'll decorate for Halloween. And then when Halloween's down, we'll start pretty much in November. We're doing the fall decoration for Thanksgiving and stuff. And some Christmas, I mean, usually about mid-December, we're getting the lights done outside and, and the trees, you know, getting decorated with the lights and stuff. And we're getting ready for Christmas and going through. When she heard you guys were coming, we know how big you uh, of Star Wars fans, you know, you Doug, you and Scott are. We looked at each other and and said, we got to get the Star Wars tree up at a minimum. So we went through and rushed and put it all together (laughs) just so you guys could see it.
1: <laughs> See it and hear it, like Doug yeah. said. It it tells you. I mean, if you sit there and watch it, it tells you pretty much the whole yeah. It whole starts story. at the beginning
6: with the uh, because because it'll the cool thing is is that it's like seven ornaments and it'll actually as the rolls like like for example in you've got the Death Star the Star Destroyer you know uh, from the beginning and all that and and as well as the Tie Fighter the Y Wing Darth Vader's Tie Fighter the X Wing and the Millennium Falcon and and it will bounce between especially during battle of Yavin. When it's Han talking, it's jumps to the Millennium Falcon. Luke's talking, it jumps to his. Gold later, it jumps to his wide wing. And it's bouncing between all of these different ornaments throughout the object. And then finally, at the end, when the Death Star blows up, it changes from, you know, green to yellow to red and all these different colors. And it's it's really cool. When we saw that on display at the, at, at the Hallmark store, we're like, oh, yeah, we got to get this. Absolutely. And they were able to, oh, well, yeah, we've got them all. Yay. <laughs> so. Yes. This is mine now. <laughs> yes. yes.
5: No, nothing says Christmas like blowing up an entire planet. That was kind of what I was thinking.
6: It's the ultimate Christmas star. Oh, sorry. Did I say that?
5: <laughs>
0: so, Mark, maybe maybe this is where I can pick up. You know, we talk about the social aspects of the hobby. We come in over to your house, you know. I'd love to understand, you know, have you seen your hobby take a more social approach in the last, you know, couple of years? I'd be interested to understand, you know, you and Jamie always are a team, you go together, but maybe talk about, you know, you've hosted gatherings, you go to shows, you go to meetings. Has your hobby evolved in that sense from a social standpoint as well?
6: Absolutely. Uh, Very much uh, than what it used to be. When I started out, I mean, scale modeling for me was very solitary, so... Uh, as a kid, it was one of those places that I could get away and, and focus on stuff. Uh, and it was it was just for me. It was just my thing. My folks got divorced in, in 77. My father came out to Colorado and we didn't have much, you know, connection. It was my stepdad that, you know, became my dad, so to speak. Um, and he didn't necessarily understand, fully understand the hobby, but he was 100% encouraging because he was... He was he did athletics and sports. He was, you know, he played football um in high school and then and early on in college. And then he did, you know, wrestling and stuff like that through high school and all that. So he was always like, How come he's not out playing sports or whatever? But on the flip side, he was always encouraging for it. You know, there's times where it's like, You should be out chasing girls or stuff like this and but then it's like, Yeah, go. You know, he figured it out and he was always encouraging for, for the hobby and and you know, go here, go there, do this and do that. And it was very solitary for me. And then in college, we had moved back up after high school and stuff. We moved back up to Michigan for a couple of years. And I was I was going to go to college up there and, and did take college for a couple of years there. And I actually started going to a hobby shop called Great Lakes Hobbies in Michigan. And there I was encouraged to, they had an IPMS club. And I went there and, and joined the, the kind of attended a few meetings here and there and did that. That was the first time. It was never just about me modeling by my, you know, as a solitary project, you know, a solitary hobby. Because they would have the monthly meeting. You bring your model, show and tell, and get feedback. <laughs> All right. thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you get the feedback and stuff on it, and 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 it was and it was great. It was it was just a fantastic time. And then I moved out here to Colorado. I came out for for Christmas Christmas vacation and and stayed. Thirty two years later, still on the Christmas vacation. <laughs> When I first moved out here, I started looking around for different clubs and started, uh, found one up in the Loveland, Fort Collins area called High Plains Modelers. I started going there on their monthly meetings, but still everything was, you know, it's still a solitary hobby. And then when social media hit, things kind of changed because with Facebook, uh, especially the last five or six years or so, um, I started sharing my hobby on my personal facebook feed and getting feedback from friends and stuff like this that were that happened to be modelers or what and i also had some folks that knew i was in the hobby friends and family and stuff and then they but they never really saw my work and i posted that up there and all of a sudden my you know cousins and stuff were like pinging me up like dude that's awesome you know you should be doing it how can i do it okay um well this is what we did and i started going through that but then with the social media aspect that's more and more become you know posting things to the Facebook group like the posse you know um, that's been great because I put stuff up there and you get real feedback real critiques you know positive and negative uh, and you're like okay I can I can work with that or I can choose to ignore that or whatever um, and it's always been it's been a great experience for me meeting you at Nats John I didn't know anything about the podcast before then I wasn't really into the Facebook groups and stuff like that until, you know, we took your seminar. So it's your fault. So we took your seminar and, you know, you showed up late. Oh, no, I'm teasing. That's the day you were at the airfield. And like I got to take the walk. Sure.
0: <laughs> I want to thank Ian Bonner again for tap dancing in front of everyone. <laughs>
6: yeah, yeah. He did a good job. You know, and, and and it was, it was great. And I, you know, met you a few, few times throughout Jamie was, had been, we'd been following you on Facebook and stuff. And Jamie was like, oh, you know, got to take a seminar I like this guy. Okay. We didn't really know you that well at that that time. And now we do. And then that kind of led to the other folks meeting Scott and Doug uh, and, and the other folks posting on, uh, you know, posting on the social media and, you know, I started the Instagram for, you know, sprue glue and barbecue to post the stuff there. That's been great. It's, it's opened it up a lot from me just being at a workbench as a kid or a young adult or an old adult for that matter and getting feedback, getting, you know, positive and negative stuff. And like it's just been great. Does that answer the question?
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think it answers it perfectly. And, you oh, know yeah, we <laughs> no, no, that's that's what we like. We we like rambling guests, <laughs> um, you know, but, but you I mean, picked the good one, with me, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's it's kind of like we 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 joke around, hey, we all coming out to commies, you know, and it's like, yeah, there's a model show, <laughs> but that's not what it's about, right? I mean, it becomes the model yeah. show is is sort of what you buy the ticket for, and then it's it's all the you know having barbecue with you and Jamie and hanging out and watching night shift videos and you know sitting around John's table till two o'clock in the morning. You know that's really really what you know this hobby's all about. And like you said, getting to know people. You know you you don't actually live that far from John, um, but okay. yeah. You, yeah, but you you really know him, you know, and and you know we all have those stories, you know. Uh, one of my best buddies in the world is Josh Buck, who lives literally less than a mile from me. And the way that I met him was through the posse. He sent me a message and he said, "Did you say you were from Eagle Mountain?" You know, on on <laughs> on the posse. And it's like I live in Eagle Mountain and I'd never met him before, you know. And it's great. Obviously, the hobby, you know, being social and you know everything is great, but getting to know you know, I, I mean, you guys are so generous to bring us into your home and, and to feed us. And it was so much fun getting to know you and getting to see your work and getting to see where your work comes from. You know, that's that's incredible. It, that's, it's,
6: that's been the best the last several years. I mean, since meeting you guys initially, you know, John and, and, and stuff, like I said, at Vegas. And then when we were talking to him and he's like, oh, I'm I'm moving to Parker. And we're like, oh, let us know if you need anything, you know, and that kind of started that. And then, you know, having you guys come out and all this, it's like, because we love to cook, you know, normally we were, you know, because we love to cook food and all this, it was a great excuse to like, Hey, let's go feed these guys. Okay. Food is the great, you know, it, it opens up so many doors for, except for, you know, oh, yeah. un- un- unless you run across a vegetarian, like Mr. Munsell and, and, and <laughs> Mr. Drayton, like, I'm sorry guys, but yeah, we cook smoked meats. Sorry. Normally I give guess bread was
0: great too. <laughs>
6: It was funny. as uh, Steve, when we were at San Marcos, Steve's like, here, here's some extra value gear stuff. Okay, cool. And I'm like, we'll hook you up with rubs and sauces. And, you know, next time, you know, if you come to come to Denver, we'll give you a barbecue. He's like, I'm a vegetarian. And I'm like, that's your problem, but we'll still give it to you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, Mark, that kind of leads me to my next question, you know, sort of what's, what's next for Mark. Let's start with your modeling, you know, what are what are some projects that you're kind of excited about uh, aside from the scratch and dent section of, of, uh, Bradley hobbies? Uh, what are you excited about? And, uh, do you have kind of as, as a follow on, do you have kind of a magnum opus or something really big and grand you'd like to like to do at Bradley hobbies? We, yeah, we have that. We have that.
6: So this is, so for me, um, I plan to make the track with you guys, Two amps this year for the amps nationals and stuff, and so two projects of mine that that I want to try and get done for amps. One is the forty eight scale Sherman that I'm working on here. I want to get that done for for so it, it'll make the trip for that. The other one I'm doing is for Project Overlord. Is I'm doing the M eight Greyhound from Tamaya. I was agonizing over do I do the interior, do I not? I've decided I'm closing it up as far as the hatches. and just gonna kind of add some value stuff and some little details that way I can get it done for Overlord. Possibly for commies. I'd like to try and get, because uh, our friend Steve Baker roped me into the buddy build for the 109K, for the Edward 109K. I'd like to try and get that done. The cockpit's done. I kind of got buttoned up before the holidays. Uh, and so I'm, I'm to the stage of painting the exterior. I'd love to get that done for commies fest. Worst case, uh, but definitely by Nat's. Uh, for madison this year and then i'm painting dark angel space Marines and stuff because that's for the Gamer side i want to try and get a new dark angels army space marine army uh ready for for this year Follow on later this year and then for nats the airplane but i also want to do the bandai tie interceptor that i picked up with the san marcos decals that rob booth and those guys put together Uh fantastic team fantastic set and and i'm looking forward to
1: that that's a great um, sheet that scheme yeah. is going to look it, really really yeah. great on an interceptor
6: it, it, it that's the whole reason i got that kit i mean uh it was it was just for that because I had the fine mold one um, and it's just a little smaller for the decals and I was like I got it. So it was it was sized specifically for the Bandai. So I I did the search for it, and and I'm looking forward to that getting that kit done. But this year for the shows, I'm looking at amp. You know, the two shows here in Colorado, Commies Fest in March, the High Plains Con in in the fall. Amps this year, as well as uh, I the Nats in Madison this year. Those are probably the shows that we're going to be attending. Unless there's another show, like say in Salt Lake, we'll probably make the trek if if it you know who knows. So uh, any other local shows. For the magnum opus model, it used to be things like I had the fine molds TIE fighter, or excuse me, fine molds Millennium Falcon. And that one, I was like, I'm going to probably build that. But a few years ago, I started doing research. My grandfather on my mother's side was a flight engineer on a B 24 Liberator during World War II, he was with the Eighth Air Force. 44th Bomb Group, 506th Bomb Squadron. And he was basically a guy who did the center turret or the top turret. And so I recently came across this uh, at a hobby shop uh, called the Model Cave in in, in Michigan. Um, uh, came across the Hasegawa 172nd Scale Liberator. And I've started putting stuff together uh, for one of his aircraft. Because he's with the 8th Air Force, they basically took all the service records There's a a volunteer organization that's taking the service records for the 8th and 9th Air Force and digitizing. And I was actually able to find my grandfather's service records, both from when he joined the U.S. Army Air Corps, you know, in World War II, as well as his mission records that included the actual aircraft serial numbers that he was on for that mission. And so they didn't have all of his missions because, according, you know, he 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 was with. Uh, there was a transfer and some stuff like that uh, from one. Unit to another, that type of thing. But what I found was for when he was with the 506, I found all of his mission logs from January till April of 45, as well as the serial numbers. Now the Air Force, they've taken also all the serial numbers of the aircraft as much as they can and put those on, and any photographs related to the that airframe, they put on that database, and you can totally search by that number. So I've gotten four or five different aircraft that he's been on. And a couple of them have been on different decal sheets and stuff like that through Aeromaster and, and and you know, the, the you know, um, different manufacturers over the years that had them. And so, I'm going to, my plan is to put that together hopefully in the next couple of years. You know, Edwards came out with some really good bits and I add that to it as well.
1: That's awesome. That's a, a worthy project. I can't wait to see that kind of start to come together for you. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, any any uh, sporting events in the near future you might have uh, a <laughs> passing interest in, Mark?
6: Ah, uh, I think there's one tomorrow night, uh, and and you know the the well, being from Michigan, I happen to be a lifelong Michigan fan. Also, you know it's it's just through my from my childhood and stuff. My my dad was a red shirt freshman for Michigan uh, back in '69 until he tore his shoulder in in practice, and that ended that career. We always, as a kid, adulthood, watch the games. I'm a huge Michigan fan. Matter of fact, Jamie's got a little placard that says Go Blue above our thermostat and stuff like that that we always had in the house and, you know, this and that and a few other things. Uh, and, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to the game tomorrow night against Washington. And hopefully they'll, they'll, you know, they'll win it and we'll get a new national championship and Jamie will get me a new T-shirt.
1: Well, uh, best, best of luck on that. So, uh, any, any parting shots, any, uh, any other things that you want us to know about, uh, Mark or, uh, Bradley hobbies or anything else?
6: We have everything. My irresponsibility means we have everything.
0: So... <laughs> we <laughs> no, have it. I, so you don't have to pretty much. That's right. <laughs> so,
6: I mean, It's, it's been, you know, I've been collecting stuff for 30 years, 30 some years since I got out here.
1: For those who haven't had a chance, uh, if you, if you do get out to commies and, uh, you know, you get a chance to sample uh, Mark and Jamie's cooking or their hospitality or just sitting and having an incredible conversation with them, they're great people. And, and Mark, um, you know, you're a, a tremendous modeler. So we really, really appreciate you being on with us, um, you know, kind of going back to social media links, Instagram, Facebook. How do people uh, access your modeling and, and more about you?
6: Sure. Basically, fa- Facebook for modeling page and stuff is called Glue, Sprue, and Barbecue. Um, that's the one where we'll put I'll put all the model-related activities and stuff like that. That's both on Facebook as well as Instagram. We've got, for our barbecue stuff, we've got our spices, sweets, and meats, but you know, that's on Facebook as well. But like I said, that's mostly for following. Jamie will post pictures and or we'll post pictures and stuff on that. Yeah, for the most part, Glue, Sprue, and Barbecue is how you can get in touch with me and follow along.
1: Awesome. You can also see Mark's work on the posse, as he mentioned, you know, check out what he's doing on his bench and uh, his uh, several armies that are behind him as they get painted. Hopefully we'll, we'll see those pop up on the posse as well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, Doug, JB, anything else for our guests?
5: I just want to say thank you for everything. Thanks for being our friend and hanging out with us for all these years now and sharing your time and your, uh, your meat and your <laughs> modeling with us
0: i just have to echo what doug and scott said you know mark we started off as acquaintances and now i think we're best of friends and i'll I'll, i'm a little biased in this but i think that's the the force of the plastic posse podcast you know we we look for people like yourself and jamie we want to be friends with you we want to get to know you and we want you part of the family and i think that's what we have here and certainly can't wait to see you both again and you know to our listeners uh, this is just a great example we were strangers two years ago and now uh Now we're best of friends. So I I think it's just a principle that we take is, you know, say hi stay happy uh, and keep in touch and, and, you know, focus on the things that bring you joy. And That's certainly the scale modeling that we love to discuss. And then also, as Doug mentioned, the meats. So with that, again, just thank you so much. Oh, gosh. Oh, my Atlanta. Yeah, so we'll extend this interview. Um, I, I think the biggest, you know, Texas was great, but I'll never forget the bag of treats that Jamie showed up with at our table in Omaha. And I think, you know, That was the sugar overload, but I just remember the bag and it's like one of those magic tricks. Things just kept coming out of it, Um, but certainly amazing. Also, the cookies were great. I'll be honest. I love the trail mix. That was that was like really good. I could use that again. (laughs) <laughs>
6: she, she that That's the one we, we put together for all the road trips back in, you know, every year we go back to Michigan or drive to Nats. And that's the one she puts together. It's a little bit of the normal trail mix and she'll add a little bit of this and that. She's been sprinkling our, she has her own rub combination for that too. And it's just, oh yeah, it's, I'll sit there and we'll have the big Ziploc gallon baggie on mm-hmm. the center console. And either one of us, is <laughs> we're driving down the road, oh, oh, recreating, you know, Homer and a donut. So uh, yeah. thank you she she when we were omaha when jensen was coming to you know for his first ever nats and stuff like this and you guys were talking about road trip snacks that's what inspired that we're like oh yeah okay you know we we she started putting all those cookies together uh for it and and it's going to become a nats tradition for us i mean so anytime we'll see you guys there you go
1: yeah, she seems like she's really, really good at taking care of people. She's she's a tremendously generous person.
6: She is. You're, she's fantastic.
1: You're a lucky man.
6: I, I will say yes to that all day long. And and absolutely. I mean she's she's the best thing that ever happened to me, to be honest. And and, and I and I couldn't be happier. Except when she takes one of my model kits and says it's mine and you know, I wasn't <laughs> smart enough right off the bat to get two of them because I should have assumed she was gonna like it.
1: Yeah, come on, Mark. That's what she that's the message, you know. Come on, man, get two. <laughs> that's kinda it. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. At Bradley Ooh. Hobbies, we have that. We have too. That. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's right. Well, Mark, thanks again for your time. It's been a lot of fun and uh, we will see you very, very soon. And I uh, can't wait to uh, see what you bring to the show and uh, just hang out with you again. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been an honor. Always, Good work. Awesome. Thanks, Mark.
0: Well, thanks so much for stopping by, Mark. Mark has been a constant supporter of the Posse almost since day one, and he's a fantastic uh, modeler, friend, and certainly uh, his better half as well. Jamie is a wonderful supporter of the podcast. So we, we want to thank them both. and. Certainly can't wait to see them again. We'll see them at commies Fest. Cannot wait because they are the best barbecuers in scale modeling. You heard it here. It's the truth. Check out their website as well for their spices and sauces. I'm going to kick it over to Doug now for some feedback.
5: All right. Why don't we do some of that feedback? Here we go. Um, I'm going to start with Michael Geyer. He says, hello, guys. I love the show again. Great interviews as always. I especially enjoyed the conversation about entering shows and how to become more supportive of new modelers. I hope to propose some new ideas to our chapter president for the next high plains con hope that you guys all had a wonderful holiday and i'll see you around thank you michael uh martin drayton had a nice letter to us he said i just wanted to compliment you on the latest episode i think it was definitely one of your best the interviews were top-notch and the report between all of you is is tangible the interview with clayton was great i love his videos they've been super helpful to me i love the format he uses as an instructor for over 30 years i really appreciate his approach and Stephen Lee, his input is really insightful. Uh, his blog is a must-read, always packed with, a great, with great talking points to killer interview. I really agree with JB regarding multiple genres to help you grow. When I started back in the hobby, I checked out railway modelers for scenic scenery advice and miniature painters for figures. When TJ talked about matching a build to a photo, I could really identify with the problems you encounter trying to replicate the vehicle exactly. I built a Battle of the Bulge scene last year from a famous photo, but I could only find one photo from one side. I scoured the Internet, but nothing turned up. I even contacted multiple Battle of the Bulge groups on the Internet and even museums around the Bastogne area. No one had any photos, so I used my imagination to model the side that I that can't be seen. No one could even tell me how, how it was knocked out. Interesting. Uh, we all remember that one. That was a, that was a killer uh, uh, diorama, and his uh, approach was really nice.
1: Yeah, he he doesn't let things get in his way. He's a great modeler and just keeps getting better and better.
5: And we got one from our buddy Enrique said, hi guys, a long time. No see. I really enjoyed your uh, Christmas mega episode. I have to say after a year and a half without any star Wars projects of any sort, I built the star Wars Legion terrain piece with my son at the start of the Christmas holidays. And with the weather here being in Germany, being absolutely terrible for the entire duration of the school break, I ended up spending a lot more hours on the bench than I imagined. To be honest, this inspired me far more than any of the Warhammer models I've been trying Out for my armies lately, and I think it shows. Regards from Hanover. He did share with us a bunch of uh, pictures. Uh, He gave us links. We could see uh, what he's done, and it was a lot of fun. He did a crashed X-Wing diorama, one of the Legion uh, kits. It was really well done, and it's uh, a lot of fun. Anyway, thanks for that, Enrique. Um, That's what I have for uh, feedback for today.
0: Thanks, Doug. I'll keep it quick on the Operation Overlord group build. It is still going on in the background. We have two of them going. We have one for armor or land vehicles that is 135th scale and being managed by our very own TJ Holler, also known as TJ Hammer. And then also we have a 148 scale aircraft contingent, and that is being managed by the Model Geek. So if you're interested, it's very simple. Pick one of those subjects and one of those scales and build it and bring it to Madison this summer for the national convention. It is display only. If you're not a member from of the society, you can still bring two models to display and enjoy the show. So we greatly encourage you to participate in these group builds. If you have any questions, we have a Facebook page, so check it out, link in the show notes. And with that, I'm going to kick it over to Grant.
2: Are you a member of the Plastic Posse group page on Facebook? Well, you should be. Remember that you are. You can send your feedback and suggestions to us via email at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com.
0: Thank you for that grant. Next topic, this this will be a quick one. This will be our second one for the day, but I I think it's a I think it's an interesting one. You know, we talk about holy grail kits and it's interesting. It's interesting because I think the grail kit list is getting shorter and shorter because manufacturers are popping more and more so with that I'd love to have a segment around what's our grill kit and the the objective of this 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 segment is for not only us but our listeners as well and and encourage we'll, we'll post on Facebook and everyone can contribute to but the idea behind this is you throw out your grill kit and maybe someone in the community has it and maybe they're willing to part with it for a reasonable price. And that's, that's the whole idea behind this is not only what your grill kit is, but also the option and op- potential of obtaining it. So I'll kick us off. I think I have two, but I'll stick with one. Uh, it's the Zukimura Edelweiss. So it is that sci-fi tank that has came out probably about 15 years ago. I bet it's, it was readily available for a long time. And I think they stopped producing it and now it's scarce as hen's teeth. So. It's a, it's certainly something that's pretty awesome. I had the chance to buy it several times at the IPMESH National Convention when Zuki Mora attended. I think I saw one at Chattanooga back in 2019, I want to say. But regardless, it is a Grail kit of mine. I hope to grab it one day and not for $300 off of eBay, but maybe for a more reasonable price. But that's me. I'll pause there and I'm going to kick it over to Zach. So
4: I have had a Grail kit for a while and Mr. Benani actually has one. However, we were talking yesterday and it has come to my attention that it's not that good. <laughs> Regardless, it's the uh, the Panzer III uh, mine roller, mine raumer. I forget. I think it's mine raumer in German uh, by Bold Division. Because it's it's like, what's not cool about a lifted Panzer III with a giant mine roller in front? So that is, that is still probably a grail kit for me if I can ever find it. Although I may not end up building it, but I guess we'll see. At least I'll have it, right? Are they out of production? I think so. Okay. It seems like they are. They're, you don't find them anywhere. Yeah.
0: All right. Zach's is the Pimp My Ride, Lift My Panzer III, Meinenraumer. Lift Mine Panzer. <laughs> lift Mine Panzer. Lift Mine Panzer. With that, we're going to go across the pond. Jensen, what's on your short list? Hmm, everything.
3: I don't know. I, it, it changes weekly. It depends what I'm into my, my Holy Grail kit doesn't exist. If it did, it would be a, like a one thirty second Bristol Beaufort, um, but doesn't, doesn't exist and everything I want, I kind of have. So my Holy Grail kit will probably be something MiniArt is going to come out with in the future. <laughs> That's all I can say because everything I want, I have, and I'm fortunate that way. Um, so yeah, my Holy Grail doesn't yet exist.
0: You heard it. You heard it here, listeners. Jensen has everything he wants and more. I can't wait until a future episode where you complain about
3: something that you don't have. <laughs> no doubt, ten minutes after we finish recording, like, I really need that, and I don't have. It. I really, I want this. This, this is a kid
0: I need. I didn't know I needed this at the time of the recording, John. It's because everywhere he goes is kind of like this is mine now. I'm taking this. Yeah, I don't Jeez. deal in currency. I'm just, just taking it. it.
2: He's taking back small parts of America one piece at a time.
0: That's right. He belongs
3: to the crown now. (laughs) Little
0: do you know, listeners, he actually works for the British Museum.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I just just go around with a really big bag. So if you see me with a big bag, (laughs) like the big bag I took to London. (laughs) (laughs) Or the one you stole from the hotel and filled up. Ah, That was was a bedding bag. (laughs) And then it
0: exploded.
3: (laughs) And you just walked away so fed up
0: (laughs) You sort this. All right, (laughs) listeners. Way we're way off track. We're gonna get back on it. We're gonna go over to Grant, a mature adult, who can talk about his grail kit.
2: (laughs) You said that with a straight face, too. My uh grail kit. I thought about this for a little bit. I I it's not really that hard to get, I don't think. I want that. Big, huge Tamiya Enterprise, the older one, you know, that big, big one they had. I don't know the if it's still- The a-
0: bathtub one. Yeah, the, the
2: one. monster one that they did in the 80s or 90s or whatever it was. That was, had the beautiful painting on the front cover of the box. It just had some great, that's probably, you know, that that's probably one of those kits I would love to have. More realistically, I think the the Sherman with the huge wheels on it, someone, I think someone built that for a Sherman Challenge. Uh, But yeah, you know, the big mine roller wheels are on the front, the back, the smaller ones in the back. I think that would be a kind of a, uh, that would be a a good one to try and build. Awesome.
0: Awesome. All right. We're going to go back to Utah. We'll start with Doug. I'm guessing it's something sci-fi, but feel free to surprise me. No, it's totally sci-fi
5: and it's not even Star Wars it's never been made i mean it's been made in garage kits it's been made in resin but i want a gunstar i would mm. love a gun star that was from last Starfighter. Yep. i would love one that was injection molded with styrene instead of resin because i don't want to play with huge chunks of resin but but i mean a lot i don't even have a lot of space for for display but i would want that one big yeah you know something that would sit 18 inches tall That would be just so cool. Um, It was one of those, imagine you're, I'm a 15-year-old boy watching a movie about a guy that goes to space because he was good at a video game. I wanted that. I wanted that for me. So, so yeah, and the ship was really cool for its time. Although I think you could probably make it, um, you know, a little bit dingier and have a lot of fun with it because, I mean, that thing was squeaky clean. Why? Because it was like early, early, early CGI In this uh, that spaceship, so uh, but I just I just imagine that would be a lot of fun. That'd be just tons of fun.
2: That's a great ship, man. That bring back some serious memories right there. Was it Arizona where the guy lived in the trailer park in the middle of nowhere? In the middle of the
1: desert. desert. I don't know what state it was in, but
5: (laughs) it
2: was. Oh, it's a great movie.
1: (laughs) Just just print one, man. They have STLs.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I don't have that kind of a printer. Yeah,
0: my printer
2: couldn't handle that.
1: Fun fact: Scott does.
2: No pressure. (laughs)
0: Ha <laughs> ha All right, with that, we're going to go over to Scott, round out this segment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've been fortunate in that, you know, really a lot of the, you know, when it comes to what you want a kit of and you don't have, um, you know, most of it's either been made or I can 3D print it, you know, like we've kind of talked about. But I am still waiting for a 116th scale Hetzer, um, injection molded Hetzer. I think they would sell a billion of them, at least two to me. And then also a 116th scale, uh, some World War II motorcycles an Indian, um, an Indian chief, a Harley Davidson, you know, some of the German motorcycles a Triumph, that would be great. I think that's a perfect scale for those. And I'd like to see those done. And then, you know, as far as kits, you know, I've got some kits. Uh, Mr. Uh, Bradley, who was our guest, handed me a, a monogram Colonial Viper that was sealed when we were at Bradley Hobbies as a gift. Thank you very much. It's uh, tremendous I'm kind of been wanting lately. You guys any of you guys remember the, the old monogram 172nd scale F16XL? I, I love that. I love that kit. Yeah. You know, I love some of those old classic kits. Like I have a couple copies of the old monogram 148 scale OA4M Skyhawk that the tail says Marinis instead of marines on it. That that for me was kind of a bit of a holy grail kit. So anyway. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of kind of hoping for a Hetzer and some bikes. Nice.
0: All right, we'll 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 round out this segment. But I do want to throw one more in because it's such a hard kit to find. Mig Productions Panzer 38t Walker. It was built by Adam Wilder for the box art. You can't find it anywhere. If you have one, I only saw it once, and it was eighty bucks. And I should have bought it. But if you got one, you're willing to let it go, please let us know.
2: I, I've got a quick question: Submarines, the the fish submarine. Who did those?
0: Oh, Michael Fichtemeyer.
2: Yeah. yeah I ha- he, I've got the fish submarine, but there's the other one. I there's,
0: Yeah. Oh, there's I there's two. There's the long snout one. That was his yep. second. And his first one was the one that Mike Rinaldi did yeah. on his single mission book, I think, or single yeah. model book. That is single model. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. There's one more in that series though, not the fish, but it did something else that I was, that's really kind of cool. I can't remember.
0: And I also have the photo etch coral that was available oh, too wow. for that. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, the industry mechanica stuff is pretty rare. He, I know yeah. he stopped producing resin stuff. So whatever's out there is, is all that's out there and they yeah. pop up from time to time. Yeah. Uh, I- but yeah th- those are certainly grail kits, all of them.
2: I got the two the the two the fish submarines. I got the the short nosed one at Nationals last year in Texas. Oh, nice. The guy behind us was selling it, and I got it for fifty bucks.
0: Oh, jeez! So,
2: yeah, so but yeah, there's it's that's another
0: one. No, that's, that's good. His stuff is certainly are turning into grill kits and cause he's moved more to STLs, but no, it was a good segment. So listeners, if you're interested in something, throw it, throw it on the post that we'll make on the Facebook page and we'll see what we can find and help each other out. So with that, we're going to go to Jensen for a little bit of cross promotion. Yes, we
3: are. The Plastic Posse is just one of several scale modeling podcasts. If you're interested in more scale modeling content, you can head over to modelpodcast.com where you'll find links to many other great podcasts such as Small, Subject, Small Subjects, Plastic Model Mojo, Just Making Conversation, The Model Geeks Podcast, The Modeling Insanity Podcast, On The Bench, Sprue Cutters Union, Scale Model Podcast, and many more. We would also recommend several excellent scale modeling related blogs and vlogs such as Stephen Lee's Sprue Pie with Fret, Chris Wallace's model airplane maker, a scale Canadian TV with Mr. Jim Bates and David Brian Bridges, DB scale model studio blog.
1: On that last one, if you guys haven't checked that out, give that a little look, Um, DB scale model studio blog. David is becoming a better and better blog writer all the time. And uh, I've really been enjoying his his latest entry. So anyway, check him out and give him a, a kind of a
4: special shout out. All right, Grizz. What time is it? It is everyone's favorite time of day. It's merch time. If you would like to rep the posse, check out our awesome merch on our Triple P spitting page. (laughs) You can find coffee mugs, t-shirts, jumpers, and even some of our world-famous Triple P lounge trousers.
0: All right. Zach is out. I'm back in. You can find all of our stylish Plastic Posse merch at plastic-posse-podcast.creator-spring.com or lounge-trousers.com. Now with that, we're going to wrap up the episode. We want to thank everyone for riding along for episode 85, even Zach Grizzle on the Plastic Posse. We appreciate your support as always. This is not possible without your help on Patreon. So, so thankful for it. We also want to thank our sponsors, Tankcraft, Tamiya USA, AK Interactive for their support throughout the year and coming into this new year with awesome products. Remember, the Plastic Posse is now available on YouTube as well. So please click a like and subscribe over there. We're going to be doing more show reports and even some techniques. So stay tuned for that. Those are goals this year that we hope to achieve. So we'll return in two weeks with more fun and great discussions about scale modeling, the best hobby there is. If you have any feedback for us, suggestions, comments, complaints, or want to comment on Zach's performance, feel free to email us or comment on our pages. So with that, I want to thank you all again for riding along and yee
1: One of the ways that you can help to support the Plastic Posse is to become a Plastic Posse Outrider. All the cool kids are doing it. If you want to become a Plastic Posse Outrider, it's really easy. Just go over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash Plastic Posse Podcast, and you can set up a recurring donation there. These contributions help us offset the cost of bringing you the Triple P. There are three different tiers of support that start at only a buck a month. And there are some great benefits to being an outrider, like early access to podcasts, premium access to the host, the chance to appear on a podcast, and exclusive Triple P content and social events at model shows. Also, just wanted to let people know uh, when you do make contributions besides equipment and hosting fees, what we use these funds for are Plastic Posse Coins, Swag. We uh, sponsor categories at, at model shows. All of the money that goes to the Patreon goes back to the community, and we really appreciate everybody's support.
5: Let's recognize our amazing deputy marshals. These guys step up and help the posse do what we do. We sincerely thank them for their support. And our deputy marshals are Casey Gray, Mike Norris, Stephen Rodwell, Rick Cooper, Tim Gidcomb, Dan Newman, Robert Blocker, Tyler Moore, Derek Post, Craig Flynn, Brian Kreiner, Scale Model Craft, Ken Childress, Nick Butta, Drew Gardner, Scott Hall, Frank Perone, the voice of Bob, Jeremy Diamond, Ryan Smith, Terry Wilkinson, Chris Lovewell, Andrew Callis, Ethan Idenmill, Bruce the Model Noob, uh, Steve Baker, Eric Deglisch, Joe Porsche, Patrick Brown, Steve Schaefer, Jay Kidd, Brandon Gentry, Robert Klein, Mark Ewing, Ted Kawahara, Toadman, Model Doc, Doug Reed, Greg James, Les Workala, John Everett, Josh Buck, Thomas Bannock, Mark Bradley, Zach Pease, Joel Munson, Eric Brubaker, Jeremy Moore, DB Scale Model Studio, Matt Johnson, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Previous Seat, Mediocre Middle-Aged Modeler, Dan Knuffle,
1: and JC Osborne. And a happy birthday to Nick Butta and congratulations on your Wolverines, Mark Bradley.
3: Let's also recognise our excellent posse foreman. These foreman are outriders who give the deputy marshals a hand. Keith, James, William, Tim, Jeff, Eddie, Ross, George, Gary, Warhoff Models, Ross, Eric, Len, Cliff, Eric, Papa Steve, Red Beach One Studios, MD Models, JV, Damien, Kieran, Cody, Tim, Nookman Mike, Greg, Ash, Irish Pat, Paul, What's the Deal with Eyebones Models, Mr. Grizz, Jackson, MAK Armour, Chris, Lee and Jamie.
2: And, of course, the Posse Posse Outriders. Please consider posting a review of the Triple P on your podcast platform. Each five-star review helps another modeler's find the Posse podcast. Thanks again, guys.